Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel! And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. Back again, one week later, we're just tearing through the, the last season. Kind of sad. Maybe we should take our time. Maybe <laughs> we should be like a McKinley cast and record <laughs> once every two years. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. We, we record at least once every six months. It's a it's a good um, good pace. Yeah, yeah. We have a guest today. Please welcome to the podcast, Randall. Yay. Hey, Randall. Oh. Hey, Hooples. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for being <laughs> with us. Yeah, we're glad you're here. We love picking up new listeners, and it kind of offsets all the people that are checking out. <laughs> so, there's <laughs> people checking out. Oh, it's, got, it's probably because Mel's killing them, right? Mm. <laughs> you gotta stop killing our listener base. <laughs> Tell us where you're Skyping from. I'm Skyping from the middle of the U.S. I'm in Nebraska. Oh, in the all right. Yeah. 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 It's almost the geographic center. Not quite, but almost. Mm-hmm. I feel like I probably said something bad about Nebraska on the podcast, but I can't remember. <laughs> Well, you said something bad about almost every flight. That's what I'm saying. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> you said it was your least favorite state. No, I don't think I did. And you that. said, and you said never to repeat it. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I've been through Nebraska. Yeah, I've been through Nebraska. Yeah, there's. It's you know, it's there. Yeah, it's just uh-huh. there. Yeah, floating around. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, I know that uh, I went on one trip across the country where I made it a point to find things in every state that I went through to stop and, and look at and, and all of that. And I'm trying to remember what it was in Nebraska. I'm not coming up with it memorable. Right now. <laughs> well, I know I stopped at the Corn Palace in Iowa. Corn Palace? I've been to the Corn Palace. What is it? Corn mm-hmm. Palace was cool. What is it? It's a, it's a great big stadium that's uh, decorated with corn. What? Every year... Every year they decorate it with corn for a corn festival or whatever. And then they leave it up. It's murals made out of different colors of corn and different parts of the corn. And it's like murals all over the stadium. And they leave them up for the entire year and they start falling off and looking kind of shabby by the end. And then uh, then they do it all over again for the next year. If it gets too hot in there, does the whole place explode? Uh, maybe. You know, it, you may end up with just popcorn all over the floor. I have no idea. And then you just like write it out like a like a wave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen much of that in the news, so I don't think so. It's you think the children of the corn like go there as like a pilgrimage? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. So. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was in Nebraska that I went to. I, I should have never it. mentioned Nebraska. It always <laughs> turns to corn. <laughs> The corn oh, palace wonder. isn't even in Nebraska. It's around. I know. Here, that's but... what I said. It's in Iowa. <laughs> is it? Is it? Isn't that the state motto? It always turns to corn. <laughs> you know, I think it is. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's understandable why it turns to corn. Yeah. All right. Well, our readers' theater today is uh, sent to us from Moira. We haven't heard from Moira. She's one of the ones that checked out. Oh, but yeah. she continues to contribute. Any way she can. It was one of my finest murders. 
<laughs> how did you do? How did you do her in? It's a secret, <laughs> a well kept secret. But it was it was a good time. Moira had a good time too. <laughs> she, she took her to the popcorn palace and turned up the heat. <laughs> <laughs> she turned inside out. <laughs> oh no. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, August 21st, 1877, and September 6th, 1877. It is very discouraging to capitalists who come into this country and spend their money in developing it to be blackmailed about a dozen times before they get an undisputable foothold. The moment a man invests a dollar in property, up spring perhaps a dozen claimants from an ambush and commence their system of bulldozing for blood money. We have heard of millmen purchasing mill sites who have had to obtain about a half dozen titles to the property before they could rest in peace. The same will apply to the location of a home, if the ground be at all in demand. There are some gulch miners who never intend to work their claims, and who well know there is no pay in them, yet they will hang about and sponge out blood money for bedrock titles out of a most valuable class of citizens in our community. What this country most needs are men with capital to come and develop its hidden resources, but the very moment they attempt to do anything, they are met with this worthless class of bloodsuckers who hamper and annoy them at every step. <laughs> it would seem as if there were men enough in this country who have its interests at heart sufficiently to put down and silence forever these crafty sharks. They are the worst enemies we have in our midst, and their batteries should be eternally silenced. If an honest miner has a gulch claim and goes to work developing it, far be it from us to lay a straw in the way of his success, but to idle away his time over a worthless claim simply to prevent some other man from using it for other purposes not only brands him as a very bad citizen, but should bring down upon him a righteous indignation from every man having the welfare of this country at heart. We say it is high time that capitalists should be treated with more consideration, feeling developed towards them of a more friendly nature. There should be an honest hand of welcome extended whenever they are within our boundaries, for in this way, and this only, can property be permanently secured. Latest telegrams announce the settlement of the threatened Indian trouble at Camp Robinson. At least it gives, as the opinion of one individual, probably the commander of the fort, that everything will remain quiet in and about the agencies. It may be all quiet now, but wait a little while until his lordship Crazy Horse takes the notion to go out, and we opine that the agency will not be so quiet. It would never do to destroy this pet Indian ring, else we would recommend the total annihilation of the whole camp of Indians. Thank you, Moira. Thank you. Thank somebody, you, Moira. Somebody think of the capitalists. <laughs> you know what uh, Moira's recording needed? More cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. She's got a great voice. Mm -hmm. Stern words for uh, those bloodsuckers. It reminds me of like all the... IPs that certain companies hold on to, like Microsoft holds on to game IPs like Fable, because they don't want anyone to, to take it and make a game out of it. On the other hand, they don't want to do anything with it. Yeah. Right. Or right. movie studios, same way. Mm-hmm. Right. And companies will buy, like if there's some new technology that somebody comes up with, and a company will come in and buy the technology from them and then won't use it, because they they're just trying to protect the old technology. Yes, that's a good point. That's that's better than my 
analogy. Huh. Yeah. What did they mean by a pet Indian ring? What does that mean? I don't know what pet Indian ring means. Yeah. I wish I could see it and see in context, but I just, I don't remember how it was used. Well, it, it basically it's saying Indian trouble at Camp Robinson. Let's just uh, annihilate them all. That's what I thought they were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Which was pretty common idea at the time, unfortunately. It's kind of surprising how little that that aspect of the geography and the history is in this show. Like we we got a little bit of it at the beginning of the series, mm-hmm. but now it's kind of like it's just well, not mentioned. It's, there's still mm-hmm. kind of that same uh, sentiment being had, though, where it's if uh, it's kill or be killed kind of thing, especially in this episode. I thought. Yeah, I think. I think it's kind of the Indians aren't a problem at this point, so the ones who are the problem are are uh, more immediate in their midst. So they, mm. the show isn't really dealing with that right now. But right, there was a treaty that calmed things down, and I suppose uh, ambushes from stagecoaches is still a constant threat. But mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't come to camp. It'd be no. too dangerous. Be, there's too many. Just too many white men. Yeah, way too dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the the end of the whole thing isn't for another, I mean, for another 20 years, so it's an ongoing situation. Well, thank you for reading that, Moira. You can hear more from Moira on FisherCast, a, a podcast that has long ago sunsetted, but is nonetheless worth listening to. It's a Six Feet Under podcast. If you like the insufferable Fisher clan, you can listen to FisherCast. Still never seen that show. Well, you're going to see the pilot. There you go. At least the pilot. Six Feet Under is one of them that I did see. I haven't seen too many of them that were on the list, but that one is one I I went out of my way to see. It was good. This is episode 31, Unauthorized Cinnamon, written by Regina Corrado, directed by Mark Tinker. Original air date, July 23rd, 2006. It is evening, and we begin immediately where we left off the previous episode, with Aunt Lou running into the hotel. Evie tells her Odell is upstairs. Hearst doesn't like it when people parrot things back to him. Odell's congregation has a find in Liberia, and as first deacon, Odell has been tasked with asking Hearst how to proceed. I was surprised it picked up right where it left off, pretty much. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. I was surprised, too. Yeah, I figured that we would be well into the dinner, or the dinner would be over, or whatever, by by this time. But or it would be the next day, and we just hear about what happened. Yeah, because that's usually how they do it. How much do you all um, believe Odell at this point? I didn't really think about it. <laughs> I don't know, because uh, Hearst doesn't seem to believe him but then don't they still kind of get into business together in the end? Yeah. You almost, I almost, by the end, I almost got the idea that Hearst had just accused him to find out what his reaction would be. Maybe. You know? But it almost he, seemed to me like that, that Odell admitted that he was trying to fleece him. So, I don't know. But then he said I, not. But it sounded, it almost sounded like Hearst liked 
that he was trying to fleece him for some yeah. reason. Maybe he just liked the way he was doing it. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure what made this encounter different from his encounter with Alma. Like, I'm not sure. Odell doesn't have a vagina. Yeah, but he's black. True. But he said, you know? "What if I do take on partners, what would your expectation be? And yeah. he said, whatever you think is best. Mm, so he's still deferring to him. Totally deferring to him. So basically, yeah. he could say, fine, I'll take 75, you take 25, you know, or I take 90 and you take 10, and I'm in charge, and, you know, you do what I tell you to do. That's, so, so he totally deferred to him. That I understood. But in that first conversation, it, it sounded like Odell at first was kind of going along with the idea that he was trying to fleece him. But then later on, it was like, no, that both of them were going with the idea that there was a real mine and, and everything else. I, it was a little confusing. Maybe by fleecing Hearst meant like you're just you're trying to take advantage of me in some respect, like use my resources, my influence without paying me, you know, properly. Whereas, but but the assumption was that the the li- the mine was legitimate. I guess maybe. Although he did say, you know, you could buy this paperwork, you know, any place, you know, for a couple bucks. Yeah. Get somebody to, you know, so, so, I mean, he accused him of, well, he basically said he didn't trust the paperwork he had. Um, he didn't exactly say he didn't trust the gold itself, but, you know, pretty much said he didn't trust him. And as I say, the only thing I could figure was that he just wanted to see how the guy would react. There's a test. Yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of my take on it. It's it's hard to tell which way he's going with it, but it seems like he just doesn't believe Odell at all, and he's just kind of seeing how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that Hearst says is, when dealing with the color, mine is the deciding voice, and Odell wonders, what do you mean by color? The color, like dealing mm-hmm. with black people, is kind of what he might have been thinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it only has one meaning to Hearst, but it has a lot of meanings to other people, especially somebody who's black. Mm-hmm. Although, did they use that term back then? Yeah. They did? I thought that was more of a 60s thing. Or 50s colored 60s. people? No. Yeah. It, it, the nice way to refer to someone who was black was colored back, back in the day. Then? Yeah, I'm pretty sure back then, too. It was, it, it was considered nice because black would have been considered insulting because it would be, there had been such a such a brainwashing thing that, you know, the darker you are is the worse. Mm. So they use the word colored. That was kind of a nice, polite way of, you know, talking about people who were black. And that's why it was such a big thing when James Brown came out with, I'm black and I'm proud. Because it was like, forget this nonsense about color and colored and all that stuff. We're black, you know, and it was taking that up. Yeah. Yeah. The Bureau of Colored Troops was created by the United States War Department in May of 1863 during mm-hmm. the Civil War uh, to handle all matters relating to the organization of colored troops. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it was a term used back then. And it was it was the polite it was the polite term. Mm. It was it was considered a, a polite way of uh, referring to people who were black. 
Johnny invites Tom Nuttall to the meeting. Tom wants to bring Harry so they can talk about the fire wagon. Steve thinks he ought to come too as the livery's new owner, but Tom won't vouch for him as he is not the same caliber of person as Harry. Rutherford ponders the purity of Steve's blood. His nose is suspiciously broad. <laughs> oh, that was fun. <laughs> I like how they're asking about like if room was the issue or whatever, if there's not enough room. And I, <laughs> I was thinking, no, it's not the room. There's only so many peaches. <laughs> But nobody eats the peaches. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, Except you might Harry. Tom, if you get sick from eating the peaches, why did you not warn Harry? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't like Harry that much. Although they decided it was the cinnamon. Yes. Yeah. With Harry. So Which might be true because he did seem to have a a more of a reaction in his throat, like an allergic reaction or something. And is cinnamon a, a, a common allergy? I didn't think it was. I don't. Yeah, I. Th- I th- I don't know about common, but I don't think it's completely uncommon. I think I don't think it's rare. Mm. It is me go on. It just made me think of that thing that people do where they stuff their mouths with cinnamon. Cinnamon challenge. Yeah, yeah the cinnamon yeah. challenge. Yeah. yeah. Can be really dangerous. Yeah. So I mean if if your body reacts to if most people's bodies can react to a lot of cinnamon that vehemently, then there's gotta be somebody around who reacts to a little bit of cinnamon. That, <laughs> that would have been that would have been funny if he was sitting around that table and he's like, "Hey, everybody, watch this! I saw this on YouTube." <laughs> <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. Don't people die from that? Uh, they they can. Yeah. That's what I heard. Most people don't, but it's, apparently it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. I like Rutherford. I like that he just stirs shit up all the time. Like that's his only agenda is to poke people and i i can't stand him most of the time but i like it when he's pointed at steve i can't say i remember the character very well no me neither no he just exists to create to create mischief yeah he's always in that bar right Mm -hmm. i mean when he's in the show he's in that bar causing trouble if you had your choice between drinking at the gem the bella union or the number 10 which of the three would you drink at Mm. I'd go to the number 10 just because it seems quieter. Mm. Um, Unless Steve's there. Yeah, you want to be around Steve? No. (laughs) No. I could probably say something to him that would make him leave, though. Probably pretty easy. I think I'd stay home and have a cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, see, that wasn't the option. As a female, go to Martha's house. I would make my own brew. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. As, As a female, none of those options are really viable. I think I'd go to the Bella Union. It seems a little less rowdy. Yeah, for us, for us, going out to drink is not really an option, right? Yeah. Whip, Matt, that's a horrible question to ask. I'm us. sorry, that was very <laughs> sexist of me. Yeah, I should be more aware. I mean, there sorry. were women were not allowed in a lot of bars right through like the 60s and 70s. Us for a whore. Okay, yeah. if you had to work as a prostitute at one of the three. <laughs> where- God. <laughs> Talk about uh, well, go to number 10 because you'd make a bank. Yeah. Yeah. You'd not, be the only there's, one. Yeah, yeah. There's no prostitutes there. <laughs> yeah. God. Talk about becoming an entrepreneur and opening your own place. That would be definitely. On okay, the change the question somewhat. Jem, uh, <laughs> Bella Union, or the Chazami? None of them. Chazami <laughs> is very swanky. Chazami is. I mean, other than the fact that it's got a history of people dying, I mean, yeah. I'd go with the Chazami. 
don't want to go to any of these places. I'll, I'll, go, think, for, I, I'll go for a nice I, walk in the woods. Yeah. I think basically, <laughs> basically, uh, the, <laughs> the choice of where you would want to, um, uh, do a really bad profession <laughs> is not really a choice. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. I think it'd be funny if the Chesame was continuing to be a brothel and it was also a schoolhouse and it was just like a curtain between the two. And a theater? Yes. Theater and whorehouse, if, that's not something that would be unusual. No, that's but, pretty common. Yeah. Seth wants a quick dinner. Martha sighs. He has camp ready. business. <laughs> yeah, it looks ready. Was that a roast? I don't know. I couldn't see. There was a it glare looks, on the TV. It looked like a roast, yeah. She yeah, I couldn't it really. Nice. Matt tell. said it looked delicious. I I took his word for it because I couldn't see it. <laughs> was it the whole roast, or what? Did she basically have a plate for him in the oven that she basically pulled out and said, "Here, here's your dinner." No, it was the whole. I roast. think it was the whole it roast. Was the whole yeah. roast. Oh, so she she had a whole thing that was ready, and he and he just wanted. Yeah, she she'd done some work, and what a good wife. Sorry, I can't eat. There's peaches. Yeah, <laughs> gotta save some room. Maybe Martha is upset because she wanted to have a cocktail hour first. Got a drink before dinner. I was sad with her because we. I was sad with her because we don't get much uh, time with her lately. Do you mm-hmm. want like, sexy time or? No, I <laughs> any you mean she's not getting sexy time. Character time of oh. any kind. <laughs> we haven't really seen her since uh, she was teaching at the school. I thought you meant she was. You were sad for her because she wasn't getting enough action. That too. I'm sure. <laughs> No, I think they've probably got a pretty healthy relationship now. I don't know. You in don't the bed. <laughs> Gross. They took out that bundle and board. Yeah. <laughs> Dan is opening a can of peaches. He's angry that the meeting is going to delay his inevitable journey to Cheyenne. If he had left earlier, he could have rode at a civilized gait. But now he's going to have to ride fast and hard. He takes his frustrations out on Jewel, who put unauthorized cinnamon on the tables to compliment the peaches. I really can't believe they named this episode after this. Yeah. <laughs> I I have been trying to figure out, okay, so is there some connection with the rest of the thing, or did they really just name it after the cinnamon on the table? I think they just like the sound of those two words stuck together. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Which, they, they are delightful. I okay. mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, the... Referring to it as unauthorized cinnamon was great, I have to admit, but... Damn it, Jewel and your cinnamon contraband! (laughs) (laughs) I'll read this quote from Milch. Now it happens that Swearingen remembers that food was served at a meeting he once saw. He has some canned peaches and he puts them on the table. And this electrical force field created within that meeting, the presence of peaches has this significance as a gesture. So from then on, you don't fuck with the peaches. In the third season, Doherty nearly breaks Jewel's jaw because she tries to put cinnamon out with the peaches. It's not her place to modify that symbol. <laughs> that is a stupid symbol. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a symbol of breaking rules and breaking symbols. Is that yes. what we're dealing with? Yes, I think that's what he was going for. So that would be the... And custom, too. Breaking custom and tradition. custom and tradition. So we should be looking for breaking customs and traditions in this episode to figure out why, whether there's any connection to them, the title to Okay, the that's episode. your job. That's your job as we go through this. <laughs> you make notes. Can I just sigh now? <laughs> <laughs> uh. But what if 
there is not the you know what it's probably not even supposed to be a connection it's probably just we decided to name it this because blah whatever it could be like, I, I'm, like I, the sound that's it that's it that's all it's, that is we, you don't need to look for a deeper meaning I don't think I have noticed that the titles do not often yeah yeah have They're a lot of connection. sometimes this reminds me of you ever have like a, a favorite dish that you like and you're like for like Christmas and like grandma I can't wait to have the whatever like oh grandma's gonna make her thing that she always makes and she's made it for 20 years and then it's Christmas ah. day and it's like <laughs> Oh, it's not the same. She's like, oh, no, I wanted to try something a little different. And you're like, oh, but I didn't want that. I wanted it the way I've had it all my life. Like, you changed it. You've ruined my childhood. Right. And and that's kind of, I feel like, what Dan is coming from. He's so unmoored by by the fight with the captain and everything that's going on. And he's like, he wants to cling to something that is consistent. And this is consistent. There's a problem in the camp, whether it's a plague or George Hurst, they have a meeting. And when they have the meeting, they have peaches. And that's what happens. And she's trying to change it. And he flips out because it's like, this is not the time for change. It's just too much for him. Well, the other big thing that's not the time for change that, you know, kind of goes along with that is Al is not sending for men to fight Hurst. And he isn't preparing for an all-out war in the way he normally would. So there is a break in tradition there. There, title justified. <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm sure there's other stuff I can write in. <laughs> Johnny Wicks, the doctor, he's been coughing so much he's lost his voice. He won't be attending the meeting. Oh, I didn't think it was he lost his voice because we heard him talk later. I thought it, he just didn't want to open his mouth because germs are airborne or he believes they're airborne. Or and, I and thought he right. just didn't want to. I thought he was just didn't want to use his voice because it would hurt. Maybe. I- I thought he was afraid he was going to start coughing up blood if he if he even breathed. All those. It's reasons. all those things except for the one yeah. Matt. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, he clearly didn't lose his voice because he talks later, right? Well, at the time, maybe this he, was only was like two hours difference. I don't know. I could have sworn. <laughs> I could have sworn Johnny said, "Oh, you lost your voice." Yeah, like, he just nodded because he just wanted Johnny out of the way. Maybe. Like, I know that when I lose my voice and people, like, well, by people, I mean, usually I'll, I'll accommodate other people. But if Matt tries to talk to me, I'll be like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. my, my voice, my voice hurts. Like, go away. So I know we've discussed this before, but what what exactly does the doc have? Tuberculosis. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And is that transmitted through the air? Um, I believe so. But it could be something else, too, that is non-transmittable. It could be just a lung thing. You know, there's plenty of lung diseases that are not contagious. Yeah, they they think he's got TB. I mean, but I I don't. I'm not a health person. I don't know. I don't know uh, how a lot of. I don't know much about TB. <laughs> By health person, you mean doctor? <laughs> I mean like health professional type person, as in nurse or or EMT or you know any of those people that deal with your body. Tuberculosis can be caused by uh, bacteria is passed from person to person through the air when someone with the disease coughs or sneezes. But it could also go. it could also be like pneumonia or something. You don't know, right? It could be anything. It could be bronchitis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're not a health person, so but I'm not. Know. No, and <laughs> neither are you. So we don't know. It's true. Yeah. the The thing is, the TB was huge back then. It, there was nothing they could do about it, pretty much. 
And so they'd send people to dry climate, climates and stuff. But, you know, it was, it was pretty common. So, I mean, it could be something else. But TB was around. It's probably know. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. So do you think the doc will last the season? Or, as I put it, will he have turned to face the wall? I don't think he'll last. Um, I'm wondering who's going to die. F- well, I was wondering. I wrote down at some point who's going to die first, Doc or Alma. But then Alma kind of turned around and says she wants to be good. So I think she'll kick her habit again. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to last through the end of the season. I mean, in that we only have a few episodes. I don't know. I really don't. I would hate to see him go. Well, you're going to see it. I know, one way or another. Mm-hmm. I uh, I almost got spoiled on the end of the season. Jeez. I know. Be I know. more careful. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I was watching, listening to a podcast from 2011. Oh, what podcast this, is this? It was uh, the Nerdist podcast. Oh. One of them, 2011. And suddenly they were talking about the end of Deadwood. And I was panicking in the car trying to figure out, you know, how to make it go away. And finally realized, oh, I can just turn. Was it the, the Charlie? Was it the Charlie Hunnam one? No, no. They mentioned I, they talked about it on that one. I heard that one a long time ago, and I didn't remember what they said in, about Deadwood. But mm. this one was about the ending, and, it's, and they started talking about the ending. I was like, "No!" And suddenly realized, "Oh yeah, How I can dare turn they? the volume down." I know they should have known. I mean, it was only five years ago that they recorded it. Absolutely, <laughs> assholes. <laughs> yeah. Should I write an angry letter? Yeah, uh, let it go. Let okay. It go. Odell insists on praying before his meal. Hurst smells liquor on his breath, which is prohibited for the deacons at the Third Baptist of Monrovia. Hurst says a $10 assaying report means nothing and he won't be fleeced. Odell replies that he expects Hurst will commission his own report, that his coming to Deadwood is a getting-to-know-each-other phase. But Odell will take his business elsewhere, and as he stands up, Hurst apologizes and asks him to sit down. Mm. The way that he talks, Hurst, is so aggressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I don't like him. Oh, yeah, I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, some of the, the ways McRaney was, you know, some of the inflections and stuff, I was just like, this guy, I think this is the best performance I've ever seen of McRaney's. He is doing such a great job. And, yeah, I can't stand him either. But, um, yeah, there's some things he says that, you know, you can just hear... Just such subtle... Menace. Yeah, yeah. Things that, that could just be really not... You know, it could mean nothing. and But there's just this edge in it that says something else than what the words are saying. And I just think he's doing a great job. Mm. Yeah, it's a great performance. I think that he's the only one that equals Ian McShane on this show. Mm-hmm. He's just doing so much. With his yeah. voice, with his posture... Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable. All the white people in the dining room are giving them looks. They want to know why Why is this black man having dinner with this guy? Why is he in the hotel even? Scandal. <laughs> yeah, but Hearst, that's the thing. That's the thing about power. Hearst knows that he can do anything he wants. He can have anybody into the dining room. Right, and I didn't mention this the last recording, and uh, so I will amend that now, which is that the reason why Hearst invited Aunt Lou into his hotel was not because he loves her so much. It's because he was just showing everyone that he can he can do whatever he wants. 
that this is his town, his place. He can even uh, upend all the like racial customs and restrictions of the place. And also it's convenient It's about for him. him. It's about yeah. him, not her. Right. Oh, yeah, and it's convenient for him. You know, he, she, he needs her to be there, so she will be at his beck and call. He doesn't want her to have to come from someplace else in the town. He wants to know exactly where she is all the time because she's supposed to be there for him. To hell with everybody else. He seems to appreciate Odell's uh, sort of combative nature. It made him made him laugh. Yeah, I like that. I like that bit when he really like uh, he really gets excited by how how the, the combative combative note when when he kind of Odell's true nature finally starts to sh- show through. Hearst gets really excited by that. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, especially considering what he says later, where he says that under other circumstances he would have had the guy shot for, you know, whatever, for for having reacted that way, Mm. showing Mm -hmm. him disrespect that way. Trixie is disturbed that Alma is back on the dope. She is concerned for Sophia, so I'll suggest the Bullocks might take her, or they could. This surprises her. And then Johnny knocks at the door and tells Saul not to eat dessert, because they're going to have peaches at the meeting. (laughs) That was a a very sweet scene with Saul. Yeah. Trixie. It seemed like that was the only thing that had ever gotten through Trixie's um, wall, through her, you know, barricade that she's got up to keep herself from from getting too attached or vulnerable or anything. Yeah. Was finally, you know, mentioning the idea that the two of them could take care of a child together. It's like, oh, he really is serious about this relationship. Yeah. As yeah. though he hasn't made every every action, every word suggest <laughs> that he's serious about their relationship. I mean, he's still with her, and she's cause endlessly uh, combative. Yeah. And kind of nasty sometimes. I mean, when she threatened to put her cigarette out in his forehead. I think it's because he spoke to her ovaries, and she was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. He's whispering to her ovaries. Yeah, to her uterus. <laughs> I could put a baby in there, you know. <laughs> well, but you know what? I think it probably meant more to her the idea that he would suggest that the two of them. Well, yeah, he would, did it in a loving way. But would take someone else's child. Yeah, that's what I that, mean. He did it in yeah. a way. Yeah, it's yeah, like that kind he, of like a selfless kind of proposition. Right. Exactly. So it's not even, hey, we could make a baby together. Yeah. yeah. And you know, there's. Which probably would appeal to her too, but this had that added thing of sex not being involved at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, which, good point. Which for her, that would that would mean something, you know, because usually sex is always involved. Mm. Anyways, this made me squee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like, like holding hands. You don't see that much affection between the two of them, so it's kind of nice to see. Yeah. They're more like a bitter old married couple all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite couple on the show? Would you say these two or somebody else? I don't know if I have a favorite. Who are <laughs> Richardson and Eb? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Richardson and his God. Oh no, Richardson and Eb. Every time they're on screen, like together, hilarious. I just I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. just so great, and I hate Eb, but. <laughs> uh... They managed to have a variety of dysfunctional couples. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not sure I have a favorite couple. Um, let's see. Well, mine was Seth and Alma. Oh. Yeah, that's gone. Bye-bye. I know. Yeah. Um, i trying to think of, of kind of some of the odd couples on there that... Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Martha and Seth. Kind of, they used to be awkward, but now they're kind of sweet. Yes, they can be sweet at times. Um, Joni and Jane. <laughs> that's a new one. Yeah. It's been building, new, though. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. it has. Yes, it has. Um, if we're talking pl- just like platonic relationships, I would say Dan and Johnny are very fun I was, together. I was thinking, well, no. <laughs> I mean, Al and Dan have a relationship he's constantly having to make sure dan believes that he's still in love with him you know um i still love you dan (laughs) nobody else is going to come between us sophia is sad ellsworth didn't come home last night alma says he's spending more time with the diggings yeah Cy tells al that he offered up alma's claim to hearst but hearst was too occupied by seth pulling his ear to listen he suggests they offer up seth to hearst and this would get them up to 50 50 and this is when Gustav the tailor has something <laughs> important for Al. What in the world is his function? <laughs> have we What's seen that? this guy? Yes, he's the one who offered lavender mittens to Ellsworth. Uh, what? Oh, I couldn't I place him. I was like, did this guy just come out of nowhere? I okay. don't remember this lavender mitten thing. Okay, he, in the <laughs> season the wedding, two right? finale, yes, for oh, the when wedding. They got married? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you only see him uh, at the wedding ser- uh, like festival at the end, and you hear him shout, Something like, uh, how are the mittens, Mr. Ellsworth, or something like that. Yeah, he was like, he was the one that was like, dressed him up like in the worst kind of like, uh, didn't he give him like this purple kind of tie or whatever? And Ellsworth yeah. hated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is it, what is this guy, like, why does he have so much fabric? <laughs> <laughs> and what, what in the world did he think he was doing on Al's hand? I mean, what was the point of that <laughs> whole scene? <laughs> He's just trying to get rid of his fabric, I think. I think he's just got, like, yeah. all these pieces, and they're just cluttering up his house. <laughs> yeah. Why couldn't he actually make something out of them? I mean, I know, he said something about no one would wear these colors or something. I'm not sure why he just didn't make a quilt out of them, or got someone to make a quilt for him, or something. I don't know. The coat of many colors. <laughs> something. Yeah. Something better than just a rag on a hand. <laughs> it's a... It's a fashion. If this had caught on, we would all be wearing rags in our hands. <laughs> I thought he was going to fashion a fake finger out of, out of yeah, uh, material. Cool. That would have been cool, like a working finger. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you think that this that scene was there just so Al would have a bunch of fabric to throw at the dock at the end of the episode? Yes. Uh, I think the reason why it was there is because the actor Gordon Clapp was a friend of David Milch's, probably because he was on 255 episodes of NYPD Blue. Right. He, I remember him from NYPD Blue, and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, very very different character. But and I recognized him. I was like, okay, we've seen him before, and I couldn't remember who he was until he Al said something about the tailor, and then I was like, oh right, okay. Why is he in this episode? <laughs> I I don't know. I just think it's like yeah. he wanted to put his friend in there and give him yeah. something to do. And he always plays these kind of gruff, you know, right. cops and detectives. Or right. I'm just looking at his IMDb page. He was just in Chicago Fire. Oh, he played a chaplain. I was gonna. I was thinking maybe he played like the captain of the fire department or something. But 
he always plays like rough people and then it's like you know what gordon's my friend hey you want to do something silly and kind of fun and you know effeminate <laughs> dramatic theatrical I'm like yeah that sounds like that'll be a fun little way to spend the day yeah i thought at first speaking of theatrical like i thought he was a part of that theater troupe at first so i was like why is this guy acting so crazy like he must be an actor yeah <laughs> nope yeah although maybe i guess if they're shopping around for a replacement for that old guy that's dying they could hire this guy yeah <laughs> he's got enough fabric to make costumes <laughs> My favorite part about that scene is how Al just ba- is basically silent through the whole thing, just yes, silently reacting and yeah. I was amazed he let him get through all of it or even part of it, you know, without just throwing him out. And the thing that gets his attention is that Gustav says that when he was in New York City, he got a letter from the camp mm-hmm. saying that Al Swearingen had lost his finger to an accident of some kind. And I, he, his eyes sort of like dart up. Like, what was that? Like, yeah, somebody wrote about me in a letter about my finger. They know about that. Like, yeah, it kind of caught my attention too. Like, okay, what is this going to have some kind of significance? I mean, was that the reason for the the scene? Because we still have Alma's relatives or her husband's relatives out there. Yeah, I don't know if the scene has any significance other than the fact that it's just a fun little moment. Mm-hmm. It, it served to give Al a good line when somebody knocked on the door. Yeah. And, and maybe the truth of it is in what Gustav says. He's like, but I've learned something. If you have a thing, the reason for the thing is that you have it. <laughs> so maybe that's the the point of the scene. There's no point to the scene. The point is that it's there. Don't overthink it. Okay. Pretty much. And certainly don't spend five minutes on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> The horrors are eating peaches. <laughs> Jan astutely points out that Alma is absent from the meeting despite owning the camp's bank. I love this. I was kind of surprised that they didn't invite Ellsworth. That would usually be sort of the the way, you know, invite the husband. Yeah, I guess they could have. But they didn't bother to do that. But a- absolutely, if there was no um, division of gender, then th- she would have been there. Because she's oh, yeah. a pillar of the community. Mm-hmm. So, so her absence, it goes unnoticed to everybody except the whores, and they comment on it. Like, well, you mm-hmm. see, there's no woman, women here. I think yep. I thought that was great. I love that, just that little scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It never yeah. occurred to me that, yeah, Alma should probably be there. <laughs> yep. Joni is bathing Jane. She confides she slept with her sisters. What? <laughs> yeah. Mm. And she doesn't know if God forgives her. Joni says, I'd never hurt you, Jane, or touch you if you didn't want to. Then Jane invites Joni to kiss her. Aw. Do you think uh, Jane... Why is it that some actresses are always hired to play lesbians? Who? Well, because this is the second time I've seen her play a lesbian. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Robin Weigert? Yeah. And then they do the same thing with Clea Duvall all the time, too. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. Which which one? Jane or or Joni? Jane. Jane? I haven't seen her in anything else. The second time? Maybe certain actresses are willing to take jobs that others aren't. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, I just find that interesting that some of them are have a tendency to do it more. I don't mm. know. Mm. Uh, I wonder, did Joni kiss her just because she knew Jane wanted it, or did Joni actually want to? By the way, she probably had gross puke breath. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. I, I was like, 
Yeah, it's sweet, but doesn't her breath reek of booze and vomit? Yeah. <laughs> it's she... kind of, and she's super drunk right now, so I feel like now's not the time not the time to be sexy. You know, now's not the time to to do that stuff. She's obviously not in her right mind, although I guess it doesn't matter, but Well, I don't know. It's it seemed like something she'd been thinking about for a while. Maybe. And it was much more the booze giving her courage to say something than yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think it was sexy, but I thought it was sweet. Yeah. Well, I yeah. didn't think that either, but... Hearst tells Odell that gold gives men power and the ability to rise above. Odell asks even for black men. Hearst responds, oh, yes, without the gold, I would have seen you shot or hanged for how you acted at dinner. <laughs> Hearst will send Odell back to Liberia and his employee and confides he plans to bring ruin upon the camp. Damn. Because bricks. Yeah. Because they do not get that he should get everything he wants because he has the gold. Wah. And they don't. And how dare they not, you know, not do everything he says when he says it without question. Nobody appreciates me. Wah. Yep, that's right. <laughs> he is a big baby. Yes. And so grotesque that it, the only reason, the only reason I didn't have you killed is because you're worth something to me in terms of my income like because he's a you human had, being <laughs> like you had the audacity to stand up to me at dinner and that the is not your place the thing that's really striking about it though is that he does he completely thinks that he's okay thinking this way he's justified you know mm-hmm. yeah and because he's, like, he's crying about it yeah know? that's what really struck me about it he's crying because he, why is everybody against me i'm only doing what's best you know <laughs> In his mind. Does he truly believe that, though? I think I so. I, I, I don't think there's anybody that's truly evil. Like, people always think they're they, they're doing what's in the best interest of whatever. But, like, I'm sure Hitler didn't think he was evil. Everybody else did. But I'm sure no. Hitler didn't. Yeah, no, Hitler didn't think he was evil. But, no. I, I thought it was really interesting that I didn't get the feeling that he was saying that he's doing this in the best interests of other people. But simply that these people don't get it that um, gold is power and I've got all the power and they don't tr aren't treating me that way. And, you know, and that's really, that's really not right. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've got all the power and they're supposed to, you know, kowtow to me and, and they're not. If only the so, internet existed back then and during <laughs> Hitler's time too, they'd, they'd go on. Well, let me just, let me just read the news here. What is this? Oh, this is about me. Oh my god, I'll get all these comments. No one likes me. Oh, there's gotta be one positive <laughs> one in here. No, they really don't like me. <laughs> my well, approval ratings are way down. <laughs> and in their case, it'd be, you know, well then, I guess I'll just have to kill everybody. Do you think if Hitler's approval ratings had been really way down, that he had would have changed his, <laughs> his way of doing things? I don't think his <laughs> approval ratings would have been way down. That's the problem. Everybody was into it. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people were into it. Too many people were into it. I have a quote from Milch. He says, The real George Hurst was a Southern sympathizer and maintained a form of genial, condescending racism. He was born in Missouri, which was a border state. There remained a tremendous tradition in Missouri of allegiance to the idea of the South and the lost cause of slavery. 
Her says to Odell, but for that gold, you'd never have sat at my table, and for the effrontery in your rising up, except that you showed me the gold, I'd have seen you shot or hanged without a second thought. For Hearst, the agreed-upon value of gold is the root of all civilized behavior, and mandates a calculus of utility that trumps even the most deep-seated prejudice. Money trumps even prejudice. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it trumps decency, and it trumps prejudice. It trumps mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you don't have it, then you're not worth anything. Mm. At the camp meeting, Cy berates Seth for acting impulsively. Evie has nothing to add in his honorary position as mayor. Charlie wants to pull a Wild Bill Hickok and escort the innocents out of camp, then lay waste to Hearst people. Jewel is spying to see who uses the cinnamon. Harry Manning is. Plenty. Merrick reads a letter Seth wrote to the Pasco's family. Al wants the letter published. He wants Hearst and others to read it. What do you think about the letter? It's a nice letter. It's a good letter. Yeah. Very fucking nice letter. Where did it come from? <laughs> Seth wrote it. Seth wrote know, it. How did they get it? Seth brought it. Didn't he hand yeah, it to him? He's the one that handed it out. Oh, which okay. is really yeah. super random. Hey, he here's at- this nice letter that I wrote. Here you guys, read this. Why did he do that? That's <laughs> super random. He looks um, embarrassed, like, so I didn't think he was the one who brought it. But He's probably embarrassed that he brought it. I mean, that he wrote it, that he brought it, that it's... but That it's so heartfelt. Yeah, I mean... It's- it's- yeah, it's showing that he's has emotions. He doesn't normal. He always keeps everything buttoned up, which is yeah. why he didn't read it himself. He's like, you, someone else has to read this. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to put a face behind this murder, and he wants exactly. people to actually think of it as a murder and not just as, mm-hmm. you know, a slaughter. Yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's yeah. humanizing the victim. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, go on. It's great. No, it's just it's 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 a great strategy. Yeah, it is. And it's not something Al would have thought of, because it's not really Al. But there's something in Al that figures that, figures it out, even while he's saying, "What? Why am I agreeing to this?" It's still something in him knows that that's a way to go. Sorry, I really liked when Eb was talking and Seth was kind of pinching like his his uh, between his eyes there. <laughs> Almost as if E.B. talking was giving him a headache. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did Charlie outright suggest here that they kill Hearst? Um, kind of. Hmm. I mean, he suggested that they they move bring on an army before in. they move, before yeah. move on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Suggested out and outright war and and attacking first, attacking Hearst first. Somebody again. Somebody needs to get into a covered wagon and have it blow up. <laughs> Turn the ignition and then boom, da, 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 exactly. <laughs> okay. There was at least one exploding wagon on the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. I think so. Yeah, I think there were a couple. There was a time. There was like a stretch of episodes where there was like dynamite, like all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, admittedly, explosives in those days were very volatile, but uh, yeah. Well, it's a point. After the meeting, Merrick inquires about the traffic on Blazinoff's apparatus. Blazy has a telegraph, and he needs to see Al. I was so excited about this. Why? What did you think it was? I knew exactly what it was. <laughs> it was, well, obviously we find out, but it was, yeah, it was the, the, the telegraph that Hearst was trying to send. And I was like, yes, he's intercepting, yes! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I figured that was it, too, and it's... So now they've got... They've got someone on their side who is... That's a pretty powerful person to have on their side. Yeah. The telegraph guy. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Tom Nuttall did not feel it was the right time to broach the subject of the fire wagon. Then Harry begins to choke. He's having an allergic reaction either to the peaches or to the cinnamon. (laughs) (laughs) Jewel never finds out that her her cinnamon almost killed a man, does she? Well, she'll probably hear about it at some point. I mean, most of the stuff happening in that camp isn't exactly a secret. She'll be out in the thoroughfare to lock eyes with Harry Manning, and Harry will just go, (laughs) and like run away. (laughs) What was that about? Oh, well, you nearly killed him with your cinnamon. What? Your unauthorized cinnamon. Your unauthorized cinnamon. Yeah. Chesterton is dying theatrically in front of Jack. Jack <laughs> goes downstairs to the buffet, which is quite passable. This scene is a lot like the one with Al and Trixie, the previous episode. Or I guess kind of like Al and Doc, which is a sort of a tough love. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, I don't have time for pity, and you don't either. So I'm going to yeah. kind of... To an outsider, it looks a little... Like Jack is harsh, mm. but he's taking um, sort of a stern tactic because he wants to his friend to sort of keep pushing on yeah. rather than wallow and die. I'm just what? not sure what the point of this scene was, though. Again, like we keep seeing this, but I'm getting tired of these folk. Actually, well, it's just that it's not really going anywhere. Yeah. A question: Does anybody? I I couldn't remember why. The one guy, I don't remember what he was called, Beauregard or something. Why he was... Ginger Bum. Huh? Ginger Bum. (laughs) Okay. Um, Why why he was so interested, like, is he dead yet? Is he dead yet? Um, Do we... Was that explained why that was such a thing for the... Maybe he's supposed to be... the one younger guy? He wants to take over his position, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. How much can the p- guy possibly be doing his position at this point? Okay, maybe it's we we can't set up shop and get on the business of performing while this guy is just li- lingering on. Like, either he participates or l- let's cut him loose and get on with it. But this kind of in-between limbo is really annoying him. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just, uh, just a didn't theory. They, didn't they say they were going to move the guy down to the... Uh, the theater there that they were setting up. But it was drafty? Yeah, it was drafty and dusty. Mm-hmm. But it's always, but they kind of feel like it's always going to be drafty and dusty. And it's, Yeah, so they're going to bring him down anyhow. I, I'm just wondering if it's just a sense of frustration, which is we're indulging this guy too much. Like Jack yeah. is just, Jack isn't doing what he brought them to camp to do, mm. which is put on a play or, or what have you, that we're just kind of like waiting. So he's like, is he dead yet? No? Well, then I guess I'll go back to twiddling my thumbs. And putting ginger up my bum. And twiddling my thumbs and putting ginger up my bum. (laughs) Forgot about that. Yeah. How? How is that possible? (laughs) I I think I... very memorable. I think I may have done that on purpose. You just blocked it out of your memory. Blocked it out. There is no joy to seeing her boy, cries Aunt Lou. In her mind, he's come to seek out hurt. She sent him to Liberia to escape the fire that is coming to burn them up. Plenty of fire in Liberia, cracks Odell. Well, she did what she thought was best. Now he's going to get himself killed. Maybe by that man he's going to meet in New York. Odell thinks if George Hurst wants him dead, he'd have it done here in the camp, not New York. Aunt Lou insists, you cannot understand how this man's mind works. Oh, just do what you got to do. I feel like, how old is Odell supposed to be? I mean, because he's acting like, you know, a teenager. Looks like an adult to me. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of theatrics, anyways, Aunt Lou's <laughs> pretty theatrical here. Yes. Mm. <laughs> but she's right. 
I mean, that's, I think that's, I don't think she's, she's being, you know, like fake theatrical. Um, well, no, but she, she's, I don't know. She's a little overdoing it. In- she wasn't, she wasn't at a point. There was a point where it's like, oh, my boy, I don't I know, know what I'm going to do. And it's like, okay. I know she's truly feeling the emotions she's feeling. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say she's just being dramatic. <laughs> Do you think it was a bad performance? Uh, no, I've seen people actually be this dramatic. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know what? I think it's perfectly realistic. It's just over the top. And some people are just over the top like that. Just like that uh, that dying actor guy, I forget his name, is, you know, he's just being over the top because he wants people paying attention to him. Well, that's what Aunt Lou's doing. She wants her son to pay attention to what she's saying. So she's being overly dramatic. I have people like this in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, All I right, just let's hear this story. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother. <laughs> but there's a lot of stories. <laughs> I had a different take on her. I, I mean, I felt like it was basically a lifetime of just trying to keep this boy safe any way she could, and making any sacrifice she had to make to try and keep him out of harm's way, because. You know, it's a dangerous, dangerous world. And now this kid is playing with fire. And she's seen this guy kill people for nothing. I mean... He is the one that is playing with fire here by working for this guy and then going behind his back and doing this stuff. She's doing the same thing. He's cut from the same cloth as her. She's not playing as risky, though. But she was like, when she said... You look like a fool with that cigar in your mouth. And I was like, you were smoking a cigar two episodes ago. What are you talking about? (laughs) Very good connection. It didn't even occur to me. Very good connection, except for one thing. She's not smoking it with him. She's going down to a safe area. Doesn't matter, though. Doesn't matter. She's still doing it. No, but it's totally him. She's not showing him that side of herself, though. Right. She is not. She's doing everything in safe areas. She's down with the Chinese. There's no way in the world that Hearst cares what is going on down among the Chinese. The only thing that exists in his world is what's in front of him. Mm-hmm. The Chinese are of no importance to him. She is of no importance to him when he when she is not, you know, when he doesn't need her. When well, he needs suppose, her, she's supposed to be there right then and there. And then I suppose to- the difference between the two of them is that she has him to protect and he doesn't have anybody to protect. Who, Odell doesn't have anybody to protect? No, except for, well, you know, she's a mother. She's supposed to protect right. him. So she's playing it somewhat safe. Whereas he's doing the same thing as her, but not playing it safe at all. So maybe he learned his behavior from her in the sense that he saw how when she wasn't with George Hurst, she could she was a certain way. And now he's, he's sort of adapted her attitudes, but he doesn't have the sort of like self-control. He can't understand the subtle difference of... Yeah, he doesn't have that sense of self-preservation because he's young and he's taking risks. It's like a lot of young people, they do that, right? They just, they're reckless because they don't think they'll ever die. I keep thinking about, I keep thinking of that kid um, who was killed during the 60s um, who came down from Chicago to Deep South. I don't remember where. I don't remember what his name was. I don't remember much about the story, but basically he'd been told... When you're down here, this is how you have to act. You know, stay away from white people. You know, don't look at them. Don't interact with them. Just stay away from them because they're dangerous. 
and he, I don't know, he said something to a white girl as he was passing, or he looked at her, or something, Mm -hmm. and he ended up dead. Emmett Till. Yeah, there, thank you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of thing, you know, comes, I keep thinking of, in terms of what she is afraid of, this guy is, has stepped out of his boundaries. He is, he is treating one of the most powerful men, one of the most dangerous men, like an equal, like somebody he's supposed to be doing business with. Mm. And it's a really, really dangerous thing for him to be doing. It was dangerous for Hot Settler to have that stable mm-hmm. in an all, in a basically white town. And, you know, and here's this guy talking to Hearst and, and trying to do business with Hearst. She knows how dangerous it is. She's going to lose her son is the way she's looking at it. And he doesn't get it. I think sending him to Liberia is what made him this way. I just have this feeling like he, when he went there and he saw that he was better off than the other Africans, that it was like, oh, I'm a superior person now. That means when I go back to America, I can be almost equal, if not almost as equal as the whites. And that's when he just sort of took all of the things that he saw his mother do behind the backs of the white people and thought, well, I'm an, I can I can do these things because I'm, you know, it gave him confidence, like a false mm-hmm. confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really think he learned it in Liberia, which is why he was so um, down on Liberia. It continues sounds, to be. Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. It's again when when the troops came home from World War Two or World War One, and you know they'd seen a different kind of lifestyle, a different kind of you know thing where non segregation and so forth, and they came back and they had a different attitude towards stuff, and a lot of them got in big trouble when they came back. Well, Odell insists that he's not trying to scam George Hurst. There is gold there. I am being truthful. I'm willing to work. I think he's serious, but I think he's naive. At that point, I started believing him. I wasn't sure before that, but I started believing him. But I don't think he realizes how much danger he's in. Mm. He knows he's playing a game, though, but... Yeah. Blazanoff shows Al the telegram about Hurst receiving more, in quotation marks, bricks, but he doesn't think they're actual bricks. He thinks... People, reinforcements to do harm. Yeah. Clever. He's clever he'd caught that. Very clever, yeah. He He's ordered not. a bunch of men built like sh- uh, brick shithouses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, Blazinov is no fool. It's, it's, he's been around. Blazinov is no fool! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. I just want him to keep yeah. talking in that voice. I know. <laughs> you, guys, you guys got some compliments for that. <laughs> for that exchange. Yeah. <laughs> Lazanov has urgent information for you. <laughs> uh, uh, so good, so good. Uh, anyways, I squeed this scene as well. Yeah. I love Lazanov. Oh, I love what he says. So great. <laughs> He's another one good another just good person. Yeah. Yeah. Richardson briefs E B on where Aunt Lou, Odell, and her star. He asks about the meeting, but E B insults him instead. When E.B. finally says the meeting went well, Richardson smiles. He's happy. Yeah, with the little smile on him was so cute. <laughs> I posted on the Facebook group all of Richardson's scenes. It's somebody that cut together, edited together. Yes. It's about like 25 minutes long, and it's just every, it's everything that Richardson's been in. Like every, Even if he's only in the background for like a half a second, they put it in the edit. It's pretty remarkable. I'm going to have to go and watch this. Is it spoilery? 
yeah, I put it. Well, I put in the comments that you have to stop watching at a certain point because we haven't seen oh. past that. I'm just gonna wait till we're done to watch it. Yeah, I think you have to stop at 19 minutes or something. Something and like that. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to time this, so I've got to do this when I'm when I like my brain is not fried. Yeah. So now I'm you like, know that oh. there's six more minutes of Richardson material in the yes. series. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I, you know what? I probably couldn't like that post enough once I do watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I don't, I loved it when when Eb was like, I could I could like squeeze your gills, and then Richardson was like, No, not my gills. Touching his neck, no. <laughs> the theater troupe complains about the dust. Bellegarde wants confirmation. Chesterton is near death, which is super tacky. Mm-hmm. And Jack shouts at him. Claudia says, "This place is haunted." The Countess will dust for Chesterton, even though the carpenters will soon make the building dusty again. Jack is the only one I like, and I'm st- I'm starting yeah. to lose my patience with him too because mm. going nowhere. You're not the only one who dislikes the theater. True. In fact, that's the number one complaint about season three. Really? Mm. Let's ask Randall. Randall, what do you think about the theater troupe? Um, I don't mind them, but I agree. I think part of what like they stick out like a sore thumb because they're they're really other than Langrish having his exchanges with um Swearingen, like they have no tie to anything else that's happening and i i do kind of see that as an issue like a lot of the other characters at least have some kind of go between and mm-hmm. for the most part this group's just off on their own nothing they're doing seems to have a major effect on any of the other sit- like characters so um i like langrish i could do without him but on the other hand i don't hate him it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's eh you know, they're kind of eh, I guess. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of people feel. I just, I kind of wonder if they were meant to be a little bit of an introduction in season three, and then if there would have been a season four, maybe they would have done something a bit more with them. Like, maybe they would have, you know, that would have been, like, kind of a a segue into Al's foray into the, you know, dancing theater kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I keep reading that they had plans for them in season four that was going to be really, really interesting. It was, yeah. was going to amount to something. I, I don't know what. I would love oh. to know what. Yeah. But Johnny wants to know what was decided at the meeting. Dan says the letter will be published and let everyone know that they are the caring sort, shaming Hearst. So I guess, again, this just sort of like rallies the hoopals to their cause, unites them against a monster. I thought it was really, that was a funny scene. I, I really liked that scene. It was like, okay, so here are these guys who have no imagination whatsoever trying to figure out what in the world the plan is. It's like, okay, we're not getting people to shoot guns. We're publishing a letter in the newspaper. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This okay. Is, they're very civilized now. Yeah. And you can tell that none of them get it. They're all just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we, yeah, uh-huh. No, they just need a... I feel the same way by Game of Thrones. A lot of the violence can be mitigated if they just had a good PR person. Mm. Alma goes into Sophia's room. She's a mess. She goes downstairs. She's, she's telling herself, I, I want to be good. I want to be good. I want to be good. Then a knock at the door. Ellsworth has come to say goodnight to Sophia. He tells Alma his being in the house is pressure on her. She reveals she has been using spirits since she was 17 years old, and Ellsworth is no pressure. 
Well, he'd rather stay at a distance, in the capacity as a friend. She takes his hands. May I interrupt her sleep with his beard? She'd be so glad if you did. I really expected her to go into Sophia's room with like a, a coarse hairbrush or something just to simulate. <laughs> <laughs> or to wear a disguise, put a beard on, and just go, mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But I was. just be really weird because, you know, she's drugged up anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia! It's, it's uh, your daddy! I'm back! <laughs> <Girls were. laughs> I'm sorry, I'm drug. Um. I, Mel and I were very sad that we didn't get to see the scene of him going up to to kiss her goodnight. With the scratchy beard. Aww. We missed some genuine sweetness. Even, we got some here, but it would have been yeah. even sweeter. It would have been so Our sweet. teeth would have fallen out. Oh, <laughs> 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 Yeah, it would have been nice. Yeah, I thought that was a really, really sweet scene. Mm-hmm. And that kind of confirms, you know, the idea of her... At least Ellsworth picking up that she uses because she's in this relationship again, like you guys were talking about in the previous episodes. Um, you know, being stuck in a relationship that she didn't necessarily want, and that kind of pushes her towards towards the drug use. Yeah. yeah, I liked how Ellsworth phrased it as when you're the like almost like the captain of your own vessel, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you thrive. When you're in a relationship, you you become an addict. Mm. When she was with Seth, she wasn't using drugs, but she was almost like, was so not a sex sick. addict, but she was... It was like a drug. It was like a drug for her. It was yeah. like yeah. other like- worries and concerns kind of went away. Mm-hmm. She really just needs to... She's, she's like a working lady. She just needs to run the bank, run the shop. But do you think she felt a bit more independent when she was with Seth as well? Like Probably a little bit more. Maybe that level of independence helps too. But she knew it couldn't last. Yeah. Which is why she went back on the drugs. (laughs) Although, you know, I mean, I don't know whether... Do you think she would have gone back on the drugs if she hadn't had the whole miscarriage thing where she she needed to take something for the the pain and all, where she basically was put on the painkillers? They always say once an addict, always an addict. So maybe she would have backslid at some point. Hard Hard to say she wouldn't have. Definitely was a factor in this case. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she went out looking for drugs, you know, for no reason. It was kind of they came and found her because of the circumstance. But she did choose to, rather than than work with the doc to get off them, she chose to. Well, the doc is kind of incapacitated right now. So that's kind of like bad circumstance happening all at the same time. You know, he puts her on these drugs and then he gets sick so he can't help her wean herself off the drugs well no but he he asked her and he he offered to do that before he was sick and she said no no i'm not uh, you know i'm off them even if he had he still got sick so yeah oh yeah he's sick right now so she doesn't really have that you know and if he had accepted his help he couldn't have helped her and of course then there's trixie and that you know the way trixie is dealing with the whole thing isn't exactly a way to make Alma, you know, like go to her and ask for her help. No. So let's say she's out of the relationship with Ellsworth. She she sobers up. She's stable. She's ready for a relationship. Which of Deadwood's eligible bachelors would you like to see Alma hook up with? <laughs> uh, does she need to? Let's play. Let's play matchmaker. <laughs> does she have to? 
<laughs> I want her to go back to Ellsworth. Richard, yeah. Uh, back to Ellsworth. I, I like her with I like her with Ellsworth. I I, w- I wish you would stop rejecting all my hypotheticals here. <laughs> Richard Richardson. Richardson. Okay. He's infatuated. Steve. He is. She's Steve. Oh, okay. <laughs> Although Steve is a horse fucker, I don't know if you want someone with that like I did not fuck that horse. like that in your past. <laughs> I don't know. Um, who else? Is there anyone age appropriate for her? Hmm. What about Al? They can team up and consolidate power. Ooh. Oh, I kind of like that. Anyone but Sai. <laughs> <laughs> there is really nobody in that town that we've met. Well, there's a lot of hoopleheads that we haven't met. Yeah. They there might be would... an elig- eligible one that's decent. Soapy. 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 But what about the cloth guy? <laughs> Gustav. <laughs> you know what? I want to see her with Blazanov. Aww. Oh yeah, that actually would fit. Seems yeah. He's he's sweet and he's smart and he he's running a well he's running a he's like an employee of the of the company but he's, he's also, obviously enterprising. He also dresses in a in a way similar to her. They they would look uh, a handsome couple. Aww. <laughs> and Blazanov is a good choice considering what's available. That's what I'm. Still, I'm just going through yeah. the cast list, going nope, nope, too old, yeah, too weird. Yeah. Too weird. <laughs> too, too, needs, too scary. Too gross. No, Alba no, no. Needs somebody dynamic, though. You know. Um, yeah, but what about the women? Any women folk? Joni. <laughs> Joni's already with Jane. Oh, not really. Though. You don't know all if that's the, gonna. Last. It's true. All the good ones are taken. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna last. That thing with Jane. Oh, I don't think so either. Yeah, yeah. it's just gonna be a fling. Yeah, it's just Jane is experimenting. Ju- Do you think it was just a kiss? And that's all? Or did they continue? <laughs> You'll find out next episode. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was probably just a kiss. Well, guys, keep your eyes peeled for uh, incoming characters that we might want to have hook up with Alma. Okay. More new characters. We got. We got to. We got to set. We got to set her up before the end of the show. Well, we still have yet to see this Twin Peaks actor actress. That's true. Are you sure you're not mistaken about this? No. <laughs> I know there's like sometimes random new characters that pop up, but are, we're running out of time. Are they here. are they a character with a name and lines? Lines. You just kind of like photobomb the screen. Lines. Lines. But no I name. Don't, I don't think so a name. So they're a background actor, an extra almost glorified extra. And I have to say that this person, I know this person is in this in this episode, not this episode, but in the episode that they're in. But I'm, and I'm ninety nine percent sure. That I've identified them correctly, but okay. this person looks a little different in the show than I'm used to seeing. So there's a little bit of doubt, and I'd love to get confirmation, but I'm not sure how I can do that. IMDb. <laughs> I was gonna say IMDb doesn't. IMDb have- doesn't doesn't quite help. They're not credited. No. Yes. Yes. They're, that's how I know they're in the episode. Oh, okay. But without a name. Oh, there's not a name next to their right. Thing? Oh, okay. Just a description. Um, I have a pretty good idea who it is, though. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident. What I found... I'm so confused by this. <laughs> this is all very cagey and mysterious. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't... <laughs> Cut it out! <laughs> um, Alright. Hurst is on the floor. He's still having back troubles. Blazanov has a telegram for Hurst. He is pleased. He tips $20. 
I find this very ironic because the only time Blazanov receives a tip for doing his job well is the one time he broke confidence. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, right? I thought of that too. I wonder if he felt bad. <laughs> I he didn't look like he did. No, he didn't. No, he looked like he was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he is so far out of the Hearst camp at this point that he's has no respect for him whatsoever. He isn't going to feel bad about anything. Yeah. Al expresses to Jack that he is mystified why he approved the publication of the letter, but Lane Grish is impressed by the strategy, the scrutinizing and shaming of Hearst. I guess, but, you know, what does this really do to stop him? It might... It might be one of those things of when they, like when the guy talked about how, when the tailor talked about how news of Al's um, finger had gotten to New York, um, if Hearst is going to destroy the camp or something, um, if, if the camp is getting in the news, especially something like this, um, it might be one of those things that, uh, if they're public enough and in the in the uh, people's minds enough that Hearst might not be able to uh, to destroy the camp without some really bad publicity that could blow back on him. It's the only thing I can think. Maybe they feel like it's inevitable that Hearst is going to destroy all of them and they just want a record of what happened. Like, we put up a fight, we were here, we were people, we mattered, we lost, but there's yeah. a record. Yeah. I don't know. It- I don't know. I'm not sure. We know that there's an election coming up. Maybe this is all just sort of, again, public relations. Like, they're trying to shift opinion. Yeah. We'll have to see, I guess. I guess, I guess if Hearst tries to accuse um, the town administration, the, the mayor and, you know, sheriff and all that, of being somehow corrupt and, and in need of being, you know, taken over or something like that, things like... This letter or would, could be held up as, or people would get the idea that maybe that's not the case, and that uh, that uh, there there was an organized group who cared about about uh, the citizenry, and you know, so forth and so on. Maybe there'll yeah. be a riot at the mines. All the Cornishmen will take the guns. I don't know. We'll see. There's that's a point it, too. It opens up uh, options, avenues. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, something that I hadn't mentioned that. Um, when, I thought it was interesting that when Alma was coming down the steps and talking about wanting to be good, she used the term, you know, being a good girl, good girl. There was like an, you know, infantilization kind of going on, you know, where it's like, you know, she wasn't just trying to be good. She was being a good girl, like, you know, like she's a little kid or something. Yeah. Well, she's been using since she was 17. So maybe she subconsciously equates using spirits with being young. Yeah. Being, you know, and not being in charge of herself. We never, heard, we never heard from her dad again. We have not. No, we have not. I don't think we will. Yeah, I'm beginning to think that we won't. I used to think that we would, but... The doctor sees to Harry. Doc advises him not to eat any more cinnamon or eggplant if it shreds the roof of the mouth. How does that happen? Eggplant is like the softest thing ever. I guess uh, it's not prepared properly. Maybe his mother was a bad cook. I don't understand. She must have been charring the heck out of it. I don't even know. Even when you cook it, overcook it, it just turns to mush. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was eating, like, a pineapple and someone told him it was eggplant. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what it was. It's part of the nightshade family, if that means anything. Maybe he's eating that spiky part, the spiky green part at the top. 
Oh, maybe. But I'm also just picturing like uh, throwing up like, the rest of it. Like the ma- <laughs> the mafia family in uh, Sopranos eating the eggplant parmesan and just like being like, ah, the fucking mouth. <laughs> And I assume it just is that he's allergic to it. Mm. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. Alice spots the doctor in the thoroughfare and invites him in. And this is strange. The series thought it was necessary to subtitle a woman escorting a drunken hoople saying, I'm so glad your mother isn't alive to see you in this condition. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, like okay. okay, we needed that. <laughs> Why? It was, yeah, that was strange. General Fields is sleeping in the livery. Steve yells at him and threatens to shit in front of him. Then Steve asks if Steve wants. <laughs> then Steve asks Fields if he wants to stay on to work at the livery. Yeah, that was just so. I truly got the idea that Steve does not have the faintest clue as to how to run this thing, and he's just grasping at straws, like you know, please, would you help me? I thought he had done a good job though while they were gone. Is uh, the impression I had. That's I, what he said. My, my feeling is that he's lonely and he's looking for a friend and he thinks that Fields could be the friend because they've spent so much time together and he just doesn't understand that his constant barrage of racism <laughs> is like abhorrent. To him, it's like just, oh, just conversation or teasing. Like he's just tone deaf. Like he just doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. So it's just sort of like, well, we know each other. I, I'm kind of used to you now. You wanted to stick around? And the general's like, no, I'm going. Fuck you then. I think Steve probably has this, you know, idea that there's, you know, one set of rules for white sensibility and another for everybody else. And, you know, you can insult a white man and end up in trouble. But, you know, if a white man insults somebody of any other group well then you know they shouldn't take offense because that's just the white guy's right and what's the big deal it's just speaking the truth (laughs) right it's not like he has feelings or anything yeah exactly exactly Uh, you know steve's such a mess i can't i know the the gall of it Uh, he does does offer the fig leaf and that he won't try to murder him yeah yeah. Interesting. Is that a Canadian thing? Fig leaf? We we would say olive branch. Or olive branch. Same thing. Whatever. <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> no, I think Matt doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Fig leaf. They're both Mediterranean. Aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they kind of are, I guess. You could have just said it was a Canadian thing. We would have all believed you. <laughs> yeah, we all have fig trees up here. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Cover yourself up when I offer you this piece of <laughs> Alpeg's doc for a lunger. The doctor thinks diseases are airborne and refuses to infect others. He he starts to leave the gem, but Al becomes upset. He throws down the swatches and tells Doc to spit in them or wear them for masks, but fucking get on with the business of seeing to the camp. It's a pep talk, Al Swearingen style. Yep. So is he just, like... It's kind of insensitive. I didn't understand why he invited him up. Is it just so he could, like, check to make sure his his friend, I guess, is okay, and then when he finds out he's not, he's mad that he's dying, basically? It's the same kind of thing that uh, Jack and uh, that Mm -hmm. old white guy... (laughs) I don't know why I said white. (laughs) I think I was just thinking of the white spots on his (laughs) song. Anyways, yeah, that old dude, old actor dude. 
Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just not wanting to face up to the, you know, potential mortality that's there. Nah, you're alright. You can go on for a while. Mm. <laughs> I I thought about it being that Al had originally wanted to talk to him about what happened in the meeting, like he did with Jack. But then I remembered, yeah, Al knew that he was, that he had tuberculosis or whatever. He'd already pegged him for that. So, you know, maybe he just wanted to talk to him about that. I don't know. They're all giving them pep talks for very selfish reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Can't die on me. I still need you. It's really awful. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to get used to a new doctor. Don't die. <laughs> hey, was was Sai in the meeting? It just occurred to me. He yeah. wasn't. Was yeah. he? Was yeah, he was there? Yeah. Was okay. Was he at previous meetings? Yeah, he was at previous meetings. I thought it was interesting that he he told this. I don't remember when he this was. It was before the meeting, but when he told Al the thing about how. Um, he gave Hearst the perfect way to take over Alma's claim because he had kind of kept that to himself. So now he must have told Al about um, Alma using, which I thought was kind of interesting that he shared that with Al. Yeah, sort of. I had the plan, and this is what the plan was. Yeah, you would have thought he would have kept that information private. No, yeah. but you know that. Sai isn't when, good at keeping things private. He, he's not good at keeping things private. Also, when Hearst took his ear, it was so humiliating mm-hmm. that I, I feel like at this point, Sai is like, yeah, I guess we do have to do something. Like, may, maybe. Yeah. He's always tried to position himself on the winning side. Yes, he does. He doesn't understand loyalty the way that, remember he was, he was mystified before about this concept of loyalty, how Dan and Johnny and all these others are so loyal to Al. Like, he doesn't get loyalty. Right, right. Anyways, I'm surprised that they have not, they don't have another doctor. The one Uh, doctor, they have several bars, you know. But they do have other doctors. Where? We haven't seen them. Um, Yeah, but Al mentions it. Um, Hang on. I actually wrote it down. Yeah, but he says we have to get one brought in, doesn't he? No, it says... Uh, it was actually it was a quote I wrote. There's a falling off of the other sawbones in camp. Was the way he put it. So they're they've been losing doctors apparently. Oh, so is that what uh, sawbone is? Yeah, sawbones is a doctor. Okay, sorry, it's just it's an old. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's uh, I guess I watch a lot of really old movies. Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so. There was that line just to tell us that that uh, there are other doctors in camp, but they apparently have been losing them, they, you know, for whatever reason. And, I'm surprised uh, we haven't seen these other doctors. Well, how many characters do we want in this thing? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. We've already got a cast of thousands. It seems. I like. know. <laughs> but I'm surprised we haven't heard like really of a mention before this. Not that I've noticed, anyways. Well, this doc is Al's, you know, family doctor. Yeah. Also, he's the one that's been politically active in camp, um, making, you know, suggestions about quarantines and stuff like that. For our miscellaneous prediction, we were going to count how many drinks were poured during this episode. Oh, good grief. And hardly any. Like, I thought there would be more. They were in the in the restaurant. They were in the gem for a lot of the episode. They were in the number 10. People had drinks, 
but they'd already poured them. But then finally, at the end of the episode, Al pours a drink for Jack, and then he was going to pour them for himself, but it cut away. And then later, he poured one for himself in front of the doctor. At least I thought it was for himself and not for the doctor. So Al poured two drinks during the episode. And for the, uh, the miscellaneous predictions, let's see here. Carol predicted seven. Matt said five. Mel said two. She gets it right on the dot. So once what? again, Mel gets the point. No I suggested way. that number to you. No way. <laughs> nah, you don't still don't get anything. Uh. Of course, we learned from the previous recording that Mel doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> she just doesn't. She doesn't care. She's like, I don't I care. I really, really don't give a fuck. Oh. <laughs> and she's winning. That's it's got to be. That's got to be really upsetting to those of you who are losing. She's winning, and she doesn't even care that she's winning. How dare yeah. she? I don't care. I don't care. How okay. dare you? I dare you to try to do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> I am turning into horse. <laughs> Uh, just killing people that left and am- right, gloating. That'd be amazing if by the end of the podcast, the lesson you learn is to be more like George Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> we've just create. We've created another tyrant. Yep, way to go! You thought you thought you would change the world for the better when you created this podcast. You were wrong. Uh, <laughs> undone by my own hubris. Yep. <laughs> for your predictions, Carol predicted. Unauthorized Cinnamon had something to do with Aunt Lou because she's the cook, or something to do with Odell because Cinnamon is a dark spice. They were, well, they were both in the episode. Yeah, that's no. not as close as it came. No. <laughs> no. Matt predicted that there is a secret Cinnamon Festival in Chinatown, and they carve dragon totems out of Cinnamon, and that c- citizens consume the spice that allows them to travel to distant stars. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And I know you're all waiting for it, Mel's prediction. <laughs> Mel predicted there's a new whore in town. Her name is Cinnamon. And she's off limits, except to the one percenters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why I said this. <laughs> and you also predicted that a new character would be introduced, the Spice Dealer, and he sells contraband cinnamon. <laughs> uh. No, the spice dealer is Cinnamon's pimp. Yep. Yep. They're like a they're a pair. <laughs> oh. Oh how, man. How am I even still alive? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm surprised David Milch hasn't had you killed. Yeah, that's true. We just we just get through it one episode at a time, don't we, folks? <laughs> that stack of scripts he's got on his desk right now—that's all my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that'd be that would be a great season of TV, though. <laughs> Ridiculous, absolute Ridiculous. bonkers. <laughs> you know, they'd say De- Deadwood has never been so entertaining or so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we have some feedback. First one is from Harold. Let's have Randall read this one if you'd be willing. It's in the Skype chat. Okay, this is uh, this great start. Just- Good job. Yeah. I'm, I'm not questioning my decision to have you read this at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. Please proceed. <laughs> this episode just leaves me with questions. First of all, if the cinnamon was unauthorized, why was it out at? Why was it out on the table? Did Jewel defy orders? Perhaps it was authorized after all. Was Hearst trying to test Odell by claiming that he thought Odell was claim- trying to scam him? Is Hearst's offer to invest? 
in Odell's operation genuine, or is he just stringing him along? Either way, he it feels like... Yep, one second. Either way, it feels like this is just something for Hurst to do in the middle of the season before he burns down the town. He can't do that in the middle of a season, could he? <laughs> Joni kissing Jane was a long time coming, but I'm trying to figure out what Joni sees in Jane. Uh, my only point of comparison is Christian Bell's character in season one. I should specify that I'm not talking about the actual character played by Christian Bell, but the guise of the poor, naive young maiden that Joni fell for. The only thing I can think... The only thing I can think of that they had in common is that Bell's... I don't know. Naive? Maybe it's supposed to be Waif. Naive. Naive. You think so? I think so. I was going to say Waif. Yeah, but it still doesn't make sense the way that it's apostrophe S, Waif. Bell's Waif. Jane. Perhaps. I'd say naive. I think naive. Naivete? Yeah, probably. And and Jane both seem are adrift. Harold, learn to write gooder. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, <laughs> this is not helping me. Okay. <laughs> I think we get what it means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Belle, Belle's character was an inexperienced young uh, lady who was moored, marooned, marooned in the Wild West and searching for her father. Jane is a drunk outcast who doesn't uh, fit into society and doesn't know where she belongs. Other than that, they are quite different in age, experiences, body type, sobriety, clean, uh, cleanliness, and aroma. Roma. You, yeah, you would imagine. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Why, why does anyone think that running Seth's letter in the paper is a great idea? It is so passive-aggressive. Either have Merrick do an expose about union organizers getting killed, or don't. Don't do some half-assed measure that's only purpose is to piss off Hearst while trying to maintain the ability to claim that insulting him wasn't your intention. If they haven't noticed it already, Hearst gets murderous over lesser slights. Does Al think that he does Al think that he will cure Doc by yelling at him and telling him to get better? Will the love of a good man be enough for Alma to kick the habit? My score is dropping as I'm writing this feedback. <laughs> well, Harold, it doesn't seem like you were paying attention because they answered a couple of these things. First of all, yes, Jewel defied orders. She put the cinnamon out on the table without uh, permission. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And Harold gives us seven cor- uh, colorful swatches out of ten. And what's going to help Alma get off the, the stuff is that she won't be with a man. She's better when she's alone. Which I'm still not sure is really true. That's a Ellsworth's take, but I'm not sure that's really well, true. Well, she feels like she's in charge of her own destiny when she's alone. Right. So. This is true. I think the the similarity between Jane and um, Kristen Bell's um, waif character is... Uh, is that Jane is incredibly vulnerable. She puts on a big, tough front, but she is extremely vulnerable. She wants love, and she wants um, she wants love from people, and she wants to be able to trust people, and uh, and all of that. And to so, I was curious to correct it, uh, Harold. We are all hoopals because that word N A I F is correct. It means uh, uh, was it naive or ingenuous? Really. Nafe, huh? Yep. Cool. Okay. Oh, that's our word of the episode. It comes from Harold. Thank you, Harold. Thank you, Harold. I'm going to look up the etymology of that. There's a lot of similarities between Trixie and her vulnerability, but her brashness, and Jane, the the same personality-wise, and Saul and Joni are both are calm, and they like to care for people. It's the same dynamic, I guess, mm-hmm. is where I'm trying to go with that. 
I like how passive-aggressive the letter is. That's my favorite thing about it. I think, I mean, if they went aggressive and had Merrick do an expose about union organizers getting killed, Merrick would be putting a target right on his own back, without question. He would be dead and the place would be a mess. I mean, he's already gone through that. All right, let's see. We have more feedback from Nutty. We'll have... Who should we have? We'll have Matt read this one. This may be the best title yet, smiley face. I love how Jewel was pushing the cinnamon and how she was fighting with Dan. She's adorable. I got my lesbian kiss with someone, though it was odd and awkward. I don't think Joni is nice to Jane because she's attracted to her, but I think it was really sweet of Jane to offer herself to Joni. Joni says she slept with her sisters. We know she we know she also turned them out. I'm hoping none of them were too young but it's more backstory to explain why Joni hates herself so much. The meeting was weird, the letter is weird, and I know this is all subtle politics, but I don't care so much about it. I do care about how Al yells at Doc in the only way mm-hmm. Al can say I love you to someone. He's worried about him, but he won't let him give up, and that was sweet. Mm. Steve talking the end general was about as nice as we can expect Steve to be. Can we call that progress? (laughs) Okay. Ellsworth and Alma is the gem of this episode. We learned she's been using since she was 17. I am now less disappointed at her falling off the wagon. Note that one, oh, not that one addiction is harder than the other, but I thought she had only been on drugs when she got married. Not that she had been using for, for years and years. I think Ellsworth is being as honorable as he can be. And I like how he knows that her independence makes Alma stronger, or at least that's what I got from that scene. Trixie asking about taking Sophia in was uh, was really cute. I want to hug Trixie. She's a foul-mouthed mama bear. <laughs> Jets. Yeah. And she loves that girl. Mm. We haven't seen them together in a while, but she she took care of Sophia when Alma was getting off the dope for the first time. Mm-hmm. We didn't really discuss Joni's revelation that Joni's reveal that she had slept with her sisters. Yeah. I kind of wondered if that was something that she was pressured into rather than because she was right. Because her father turned them out. Yeah. Maybe he's maybe a a client (laughs) came to the, the farm and said, okay, I want to do two girls at once. And then that's what she meant when she said slept with them. Yeah. It could be anything. And considering how she was raised and what she was expected to do, I don't think it would matter to her at this point as far as her, you know, feeling guilty about everything she's ever done in her life. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was something that was not engineered by her. Or this is a like a Norma Bates-Caleb situation. If you watch Bates Motel, where mm-hmm. Norma yeah. and her brother, when they were kids, were abused and the only thing they had was each other and then one mm-hmm. one thing led to another and yeah you know, there's a guilt and shame that goes goes with that but at the time mm-hmm. it felt like it was the right thing so maybe she feels yeah maybe she voluntarily did it but different mm-hmm. circumstances i don't know um this is true it was just a sort of a throwaway line but there's a lot to speculate about there i don't know if we'll ever revisit it or not yeah I think that kind of cycle of abuse makes that kind of stuff normalized, though. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 She had a messed up childhood, no matter how you look at it. For sure, yeah. Mel, would you read this feedback from Barb? Yes. 
Here's why a rewatch of Deadwood is so rewarding. I'd forgotten the wonderful bit of frontier wave fem feminism that takes place among the ladies at the gem in this episode. E.B. and even Harry got seats at the table, while Alma was snubbed as much as Steve, and the only ones who noticed were the humblest members of the community. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even notice this part, and maybe I missed it because I was writing notes. Yeah. I don't, but yeah, I totally missed this part. Yeah. It's it's just a the briefest of scenes. Yeah. But it was really impactful. Mm-hmm. This episode was a placeholder for the most part, but there were some really nice character moments and fine acting. Gerald McRaney was mesmerizing in his Gamora speech to Odell. Hurst sees himself as generally misunderstood and mistreated. I'm sure that Dolly and the other gem girls sympathize. <laughs> yeah. Ellsworth and Saul are tied for first in the undeclared tender masculinity competition. Both were so swoon-worthy. Hmm. <laughs> I'll give this one eight EpiPens for Harry. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. That's great. It baffles me, honestly, that uh, the actor who plays Harry is in the listed in the credits, and Brian Cox is not, Gerald McCraney is not. That they're just guest stars. Yeah. That's, well, that's weird. Yeah. I guess it's what your agent negotiates for you or something. Maybe. Well, yeah, it's a total contract thing. I mean, if Gerald McCraney was hired as as a uh, as a guest star and they decided to add episodes and stuff like that, that's just that's the contract it came in under. If somebody was hired for the season, you know, that's you know, that's a different totally different kind of contract. That's mm -hmm. When you go up in the opening credits. So. Right. We have a, uh, another bit of email from Emily. Uh, Carol, I'll have you read this. Okay. Emily. Checking in. Hello, Hoopleheads. I've been negligent in my watching as well as my feedback. I apologize. I don't have no, much No, 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 no. It's I apologize. Oh. <laughs> That's true. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I don't have much to say either, tell you the truth. I've seen through through true colors. I'd have liked to have gotten a few more under my belt this weekend, but I'm out of time, and free time to watch stuff alone is in short supply around here. I'm only three eps into the season and haven't listed, listened to any Hooplecast for season three either, so I don't know how everyone else is feeling about it. I feel like we are starting out slow, which is fine. I'm just not compelled to drop everything and watch at this point. The writing and acting are very good. The overarching arching story is just failing to capture my attention. Hearst isn't doing much for me either. Uh, for me, neither are the politics surrounding his presence, I guess you could say. Uh, the, <laughs> this had sent from my iPad. The perils of writing emails with Eleanor on your lap. <laughs> Eleanor sent that email to you before I was done and before I proofread it, so please excuse it. <laughs> I guess I can't think of much else to say. If you give me two weeks and Bates Motel being over, I promise to catch up and write a coherent email. But thought I'd make good on some promises made to Matt by at least checking in with y'all. Have a good recording and see you soon. Emily in the Utah Territories. Ah, yes. Yes. Well, we're, Mel and I take different tactics. Uh, she threatens to kill people for feedback. I just, I just guilt them into doing it, basically. <laughs> Yeah. He gets the old uh, George Hurst weepy face going. Mm. <laughs> I don't understand why people are treating me so cruelly. 
<laughs> Is that what you told Emily? <laughs> So uh, no, I was like Aunt Lou. I was more like Aunt Lou. I was just crying, like, "Oh, I'm just upset. There's no joy, Emily. I'm so disappointed. Oh my god, what to do with myself?" Uh, and she said, "What a sad sack. I'll send you something." Uh, <laughs> thank you, Emily. Thank you, yes. Emily. All right, we have one last bit of feedback. It's audio feedback from Hasso. I'm gonna get it queued up now. Hi guys, it's Hasso here for some feedback. For Series 3, Episode 7, Unauthorized Cinnamon. I liked Hurst's acid tongue point of clarification about people echoing his message in different words. Um, this is just so relevant today, especially in the um, dealings with the corporate world, uh, where there's always people talking about talk and no one's actually moving forward and doing anything. Uh, the Doc, when I first saw him in this episode, I was like, um, dude, please don't die. It would just be too much a tragic ending after everything he's done. Uh, for the camp, um, but then I was a little relieved, um, even though he's still in quite a bad way, um, when he was actually able to get about and do a few things and actually go see Al as well. So hopefully things can take a turn for the better, maybe for the doc. I love the dialogue between Odell and Hurst at dinner time. Uh, Hurst just has that ability to ramp up the tension and anxiety in just one or two sentences uh, when he was querying Odell um, and his drinking history. Uh, this was very similar in the way he did it with Alma a few episodes ago, just lurching that scene quickly from smooth sailing into a death dive. He's such a great villain in this story. Uh, Jane and Journey, I've only got one word uh, for that scene, and that is awkward, and I don't want to go any further with that. <laughs> um, Aunt Lou and Odell, uh, those poor, poor people, especially after um, watching most of that Liberia doco that Matt posted, you can see that they're really just dealing with you know a never-ending crisis, um, and it's it's really evident that those stresses are really impacting on their personal lives and their relationship, um, especially with the tempers flaring there. Odell is really playing with fire, so we'll we'll see how that um, may eventuate. The deepest bit of insight I found in this um, episode was Hurst and his solid philosophy with gold at its centre, or more fundamentally, the implicit agreement that gold has value which is simply the building blocks of capitalism in his, in his eyes. In other words, it's a great excuse to plunder the environment, people and resources under the guise of commerce that supposedly brings together all races and creeds to work to the one goal. And he so believes it, tearing up towards the end there of his talk, where he's, he's essentially saying that he's being impeded uh, from liberating the camp. And he's obviously very successful, powerful, and he's got heaps of support. I wonder, guys, do you think he may be a bit of a Donald Trump of his time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, that's all from me. Um, I'll be interested also in your take on the strategy of the outcome of the meeting and the potential moves by both sides in, in what might be in store. Uh, and, and most importantly, uh, the historical evolution and regulatory requirements and standards that govern the production, distribution, and dinner table consumption of that sweet luxury, cinnamon. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Hassel. I had some cinnamon rolls for breakfast this morning in honor of our recording today. Yeah. Nom, nom, nom. And then I offered some to Harry Manning, and he fell over, dead. <laughs> <laughs> he just took a whiff and just passed out. Aww. It was funny how Hearst said to Odell, like, I hate it when people just repeat back to me what, what I've said in uh, different words. It's uh-huh. exactly what Al told EB, mm-hmm. like, season one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we've heard it other times, too, in the series. I'm not sure. Yeah, stop repeating back to me what I just told you. Yeah, yeah. 
maybe yeah. it was somewhere else. I don't know. It seemed f- like a familiar thing. I couldn't place where. Well, thank you for the feedback, Barb, Emily, Harold, Hasso, and Nutty. Yay. Yay. This was a quick turnaround for this recording, so I'm glad we got some, some contributions from everyone. You guys can take uh, two weeks off now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or is it three weeks off? It might be three weeks off. Is it? Is it? I'll have to check the, check the old schedule. Yeah, I have to check. All right, let's get into our episode ratings as our guest. Randall, you get to go first. All right. Um, there, there are several scenes in this that I really like. Some of my favorite stuff in the series. I like the, the Jane and Joni scene. The whole unauthorized cinnamon thing is fun. Uh, anytime there's a meeting, uh, like a meeting of the uh, town leaders is, is I like those. Um, but there's, there's just, there's not a lot to really grab a hold on in this episode compared to other episodes. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go seven, seven, uh, fabric stump covers out of 10. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I don't think you could market them as stump covers. <laughs> you come, you'd have to, have to put a more positive spin on it. Uh, I don't digit, know. seven digit, uh, <laughs> replacements digit, re- digit replacements get your stump covers here <laughs> cover that stump excuse me sir but i do not like to call it a stump what about hand coveralls <laughs> oh i like that hand coveralls <laughs> that sounds adorable i know it, it's like a little pair of coveralls it's like oh you just like button them in <laughs> oh my god i want this to be a thing i want i want Fashion trend 2017 hand coveralls. Actually, oh, that's a nice hand coverall you got over there under your hand. Stick to the radio today, and they were talking to these ladies that were like knitting these muffs. I don't even know what a muff is, but they were knitting these muffs for all these patients with Alzheimer's and dementia because apparently putting your hands inside this mysterious muff calms them down. Their nicknames were the Muff Girls, and I I, I snickered. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, they called them the muffers or something. Oh, I don't even know. It was oh, the muffers. They're those things that you see on old, um, old like pictures of people in sleighs and stuff, and the women will have like a, uh, like a big black cylindrical thing that they have their hands in. It's oh like my a giant, god! It's like a giant <laughs> Chinese finger trap. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> only stick your hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess. See. I've got some at my mom's house, as a matter of fact, from way back when, yeah. Anyways. It was just to keep your hands warm, you know. Yeah, that's what that's what Al should have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd look very Ridiculous. authoritative. Yeah, people would really listen to him with his hands inside a muff. Yeah, he'd be like, let me stick my hands inside this muff, and then they would take it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Where? <laughs> <laughs> They would close the door. They'd be like, all right, I'll give you some privacy. <laughs> Carol, what is your rating? Uh, um, well, again, uh, yeah, I kind of have to go with the not much really happened. It was almost like a, a series of vignettes or something. Um, I liked a lot of them, but there wasn't like a lot of, of impetus to the episode. I'm going to give it seven out of ten poisonous cans of peaches okay matt uh i liked it fine except for the the acting troop stuff um i don't know i can't think of anything specific right now that besides that I, there's a lo- couple sweet moments i like when we get those 
between like uh Saul and Trixie and Ellsworth and Alma and uh even Seth's Seth's letter was sweet and the yeah. way he like blushed after they <laughs> they finished reading it. Um I'll give it 8.5 out of 10 phlegm watches. Gross. Yeah, you're going to have to think of another name to market that too. I don't think phlegm watch <laughs> is going <laughs> to You guys are terrible at coming out with names for products. <laughs> um Mel I'll have to think of something better. <laughs> um. <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah. phlegm, the phlegm stump uh, is not, yeah. It's not going to sell well. It's not going to sell well. <laughs> New and improved phlegm stump. <laughs> As seen on TV. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with Carol. It's a little bit of a, a non-episode. There's a lot of stuff, but not a lot of stuff. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 free tugs on credit. <laughs> yes. That's a good one. That is a good one. That is a candidate for quotes later. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten about that one. Oh, man. Um, I like this one more than the previous one. Again, as Matt said, there are a lot of sweet moments. Like uh, Ellsworth Alma, Joni Jane. The letter, the letter was really well written, and honestly, it was really moving. Because though we yeah. didn't know this Pasco person very well, um, at the end of the letter, we felt like we had, like he became a person for us, which was the intention that he wasn't just another nameless nobody killed in the town. Like his death means something. It means something to his family and the people he was sending money to back back what in Cornwall. If, it it's what if Seth signed signed off the letter with Parp. Oh, funny <laughs> face. <laughs> he was the best part I knew. <laughs> it also, that, that letter also gave us some insight into Seth, you know. As a person. Yeah. And, what, and why he was so upset, you know. This guy wasn't just a nameless person. He thought of him as a real person with friends and, and family and all of that. He, he These weren't dehumanized people and and... and these murders that were happening in camp, you know, meant something to him. Mm-hmm. He hadn't been desensitized to the whole thing. Right. It was, it was a great character moment for Seth, and he didn't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what else? I I liked all the, the bits with the cinnamon and Jewel. I, Dan uh, yelling at Jewel and teasing her later, and seeing the doc again, the Odell... Um, the Odell Hurst stuff was still scary, and he's gross, but it's compelling. And uh, yeah, overall, I oh yeah, and of course Gustav the Taylor is pretty wacky and great. So yeah, I like this one a lot. So I'm gonna give it an eight and a half out of ten. Eggplant sprinkled with cinnamon for Harry Manning. Mm. I'm just basically trying to kill him with my. <laughs> yeah. He would just like completely tear his throat throat out. <laughs> Let's move on to character of the episode, Randall. You may go first. Um, Glazanoff. He kind of breaks out and like, I mean, he says, he says, uh, what does he say? Uh, fuck the communications confidentiality. Um, and, and, you know, he's obviously, he's, he's smart enough to pick up on the, uh, the kind of code that Hearst is sending through in these telegraphs. So, um, I don't know. I just, he wasn't in it a whole lot, but, uh, I enjoyed when he was in it. And also he took Merrick's hand when he was, 
having Merrick lead him to uh, Swearingen. Another oh, sweet was, moment. Oh it was God. unusual. That is weird. Yeah, it was. He he became extremely childlike. So yes. I don't know. It was very strange. He wanted to be led by a giant. <laughs> um, uh, I think also it. Again, character-wise, it kind of pointed up that this was something he was feeling very, very insecure about doing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. He was... This is totally out of character for him and, and going against everything that he had indicated he believed in. And if, Merrick was clueless, as usual, like, didn't understand why he wanted to see Mr. Swearingen, saying, like, you know, you don't have to ask his Mr. Swearingen's permission to be with one of the horrors. It's like, no, that's not why I want to see him. <laughs> you read everything wrong. <laughs> like, you're just terrible. You're terrible at journalism and investigation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Blazanoff is a really good pick. I like that a lot. I, I agree, too. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go to Carol next, your character. Uh, well, now you've said all that good stuff about Blazanoff, and you're right. Um, I've been thinking about this since I saw the episode and trying to figure out who I should pick. And I'm having a really hard time because, in a way, I mean, I can't stand Hurst. And yet, in some ways, I feel like he should be the one um, because a lot is just going on around him. I guess I'll have to pick Hurst. Okay. I don't so, want to pick Hurst. Someone needs to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. As long as I don't have to keep him. No. You yeah. can throw him back. Oh, good. Okay. But for now, we'll go with Hurst. Okay, Matt. Uh, Mel and I had both also considered Blazanoff. I don't know what she ended up on, but to be different, I will pick Saul because I like that he's willing. He wants to start up a life with Trixie. Great, another sweet scene. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Mel, who'd you decide on? I I have to stick with Blazanov. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked how he stepped out and said the things he said. I thought that was great. Uh, I don't know. I just liked his character a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Blazanov as well. I lo- he, as an immigrant, like, they're all immigrants, but like he's like a fresh immigrant. He he understands what it's like to be in an unfamiliar place. Well, he's, he articulates this. He says this. You're in an unfamiliar land. You're just trying to work to send money to your family. And where does it get you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's upset for somebody else. I, get, I always love it when people can see themselves and other people and sort of like empathize with other mm-hmm. with others mm-hmm. and because that's that's the hallmark i think of just a good person he's just a good yeah. person so yeah i'm gonna say blazanov though george hurst again was just fascinating to watch but <laughs> mccraney did such an amazing job he but, did yeah but but he might but, have more to do this might be the this might be the most we get to see of blazanov i feel so yeah hey uh did Am I imagining it, or did Blazanov indicate at some point that, you know, he'd been through, like, a war-type situation, or a, a, you know, like, I seem to recall us talking about, you know, the we situation about, in the country and stuff. We talked about his parents being murdered, and then I just dug around in some dates and thought that right. maybe it aligned with the Crimean War, yeah. but that was just a theory. It's yeah. never been. It's never been said. Yeah, there's some really nasty stuff that's happened, has happened in almost every country. So, right. But, yeah. Okay, let's do quotes. Can we? Can we go? We have a quote ready. Um, no, you have to wait. No, because guest rights say no! that the guest gets to go. You better not steal you our quote. Bastard. 
Yes. Oh, I'm not breaking. Okay. I am not breaking with tradition. <laughs> and you better <laughs> not, Randall. You better not let Matt. them go. They're not talking to our guests. They're talking to Matt when they say yes. these horrible. Yes, <laughs> but you better not. I'm, now I'm t- I'm talking to our guests. I'm saying you better not. I'm not going to let them go. go. Good. Good. I have a feeling teams. I'm stealing somebody's with this, but I've I've got to do it. Um. Well, go ahead and sponge my fucking tits and get it over with if that's what you fucking do. <laughs> wow, that wasn't on my list. It it's oh, jeans. If that's what you fucking do, that gets me every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's what you lesbians do. Just do it. Well, we just do whatever everyone else does. <laughs> Seems like uh, the term bi-curious has been invented for Jane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The couple from Canada can go next. <laughs> so you be Evie. Okay. I'll be Richardson. <laughs> Predictable, right? <laughs> How are you occupying yourself, Richardson? I'm putting the meeting right well. Very touching. Now clear your mind of the meeting and account for the Negro with her st- they're both in her room. Despite your best efforts, Richardson, an answer of some ambiguity. Is she with them? One. One what? One of them is with her. Who? Aunt Lou. Who is with Aunt Lou? Her son. And where is Hurst? His room. Then I will return to mine. And it goes on. So good. <laughs> the part that goes on is the best part. Oh, All right, let's, let's say it. Well, how was the meeting? <laughs> Uh, I imagine the pool that spawned you. I'm filling it with rocks. <laughs> I'm I'm holding shut your gills to prevent you from taking air. I suppose the meeting went quite well. <laughs> I was choking myself as Matt was saying that too. <laughs> oh, nice. So weird. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Carol? Oh, I didn't have anything too exciting. Um, one of the very first lines, I can't do McRaney justice. It's so innocuous sounding, and yet he just put this tinge on it. We was talking to Odell. He's just, and Odell was saying that, you know, the congregation wanted this gold thing, and he just says, I suppose we oughtn't to let the congregation down. This is, this is like such an innocuous line, and it's, there's so, th- so much thread in it. Mm -hmm. all right for my quote i have the little boy goes up the mountain around the bend always looking for mama and where does he find her here she is here's mama wrapping herself around you tight 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 mama's got you little l everything's all right i like that color very much do you please god come in (laughs) i wrote that down too (laughs) oh man there's the other one that he says, uh, what is it? Uh, I'm trying to find it. Okay, here's one. Ernie, you got credit for a free tug tomorrow. Let's go. I'll spank it myself. Just watch me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. I like, yeah, I like when Gustav says, but I have learned something. If you have a thing, the reason for the thing is that you have it. <laughs> yes. <I'm sad. laughs> It's true. Um, this is a Dan quote. Hey, little Miss Fucking Cinnamon. <laughs> and you can't see, but I'm doing. Uh, I'm giving him the finger like Jewel did. Love it. Love it. Love sassy Jewel. Yes. Yeah. 
I wonder when they decided to make it, because it seemed like Jewel was such a throwaway character at the beginning. And then all of a sudden, you know, she had these totally different colors going on. Just wondering when they decided to do that, whether that was her character from the beginning or, or whether that was something that they discovered. Hmm. Jewel and Richardson should get together. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That would be something. That'd be Jewel, Jewel deserves more than that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Richardson's a nice guy. He's nice. He's simple. He, but he's nice. Yeah, he, he doesn't look very clean. No one, no one's clean. <laughs> she doesn't yeah, look very but, clean either. <laughs> but he doesn't look very clean, even compared to the rest of them. I like uh, when Blazanov says, fuck confi- confidentiality of communications, and then Al says, why not fuck a woman instead? And Blazanov, I hope so, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an exchange between Jack and Al. Mystified Al at proclaiming a law beyond law to a man who's beyond law himself. It's publication invoking a decency whose scrutiny applies to him as to all his fellows. I call that strategy cunningly sophisticated, befitting and becoming the man who sits before me. Open the place back up. Tell the whores if they are legs in in the air, they'd better be off their asses. It's kind of a it's kind of a funny visual in my head to just have like a bunch of ladies randomly have their legs up in the air. Yes. Yeah, they immediately they just all go whoop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. They just flip their skirts. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the uh, photos from uh, the the episode. It must have been so fun to dress up in all these outfits. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking at like a photo of like a size there with like all his nice uh, vest and everything in the Silas there with his like crazy like rubber boots or whatever they are. <laughs> He's got like gold chains all over the place. It's kind of fun. So many layers though. I know, a lot of layers back then. Yeah, and the horse didn't have any layers. <laughs> well, they had, barely of, they had a lot of poofs though. A lot of poofy stuff. Steve had a line that I found quite amusing when he said, meaning I'm not fanatic for fucking fire wagons like Harry and all the other five-year-olds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was good. All right, any other quotes? No. No. Well, we will return on June 12th for episode 32, Leviathan Smiles. Leviathan Smiles? You do that every every time. I tell you what the title <laughs> is, and then you repeat it to me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about you saying back to me. <laughs> I'm just always so stunned by some of these titles. It's like, what? I don't know. I, I apologize. I'll try not to I, do that. No, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> somebody, somebody finally figured out how to get rid of uh, Hurst, and it was to summon the gods, the ancient Greek gods. Who do we know that prays to gods? Mm-hmm. Richardson! Richardson's gonna save the day! He's gonna, gonna be my character of the episode. Yeah. I predict that Richardson will be my character of the episode next episode. <laughs> that will be so hard to make come true. <laughs> as long as he's in it, it will happen. Well, he's gonna make he's gonna make uh, Hurst go away, though. I could talk- see Mel making him the character of the episode, whether he's in the episode or not. Uh, okay, so picture this: the Leviathan's gonna come down the river where they put all the corpses to keep them cool. <laughs> just gonna come down and just swallow up first. 
Yeah. He's going <laughs> to train it like a... Like a oh, with like, his antlers? He's going to yeah, control like they, it with like his they, antlers. Like they train dolphins or orcas at SeaWorld or whatever, and he's going to direct it to jump out of the stream and land Don Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> Squishing him. Yeah. yeah, you got it. We don't even have to watch it. You got it. Yay. That's it. That's what happens. It's going to be like the Free Willy, you know, when the little kid like makes the orca jump <laughs> over top and they're both smiling. Oh, somebody draw that, please. Somebody draw <laughs> Richardson holding his antlers above his head with a leviathan <laughs> jumping over it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's what it is. Can't wait. We have to wait for three weeks, though. <laughs> Carol, I imagine that you have a Smarty Pants prediction. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, what was the name again? <laughs> Something with Leviathan. Leviathan smiles. Leviathan smiles. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the new character. His name is going to be Leviathan Smiles. <laughs> uh, I, I assume that this is going to be taken from some quote in the episode, and it'll be something about, you know, and then the, the a Leviathan smiles or some such as that. And it's going to be some, like, one-off moment in the episode that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, but mm. that's my prediction. Okay. And predict- Al will say it. I predict you're probably going to be right. <laughs> and for a miscellaneous predictions, we're going to take Matt's suggestion and do number of horses, individual horses. So if you see the same horse twice, we're not going to know. How are you going to know? <laughs> but I mean, like in the same scene, we will probably know. Like that doesn't count. Yeah. So number of number of horses. I'm going to say two. Two horses. In the whole episode, this in is in the whole entire episode. Yeah. Three horses Not counting, obviously, the one in the opening credits. Correct. Correct. And Mel, you'd be thinking of a prediction too, even though you don't want to. I can't think of, I can't remember seeing any horses in this episode, but there probably was some in like a <laughs> well, street scene. They were at the livery too. Yeah, they, you there see, was did one. Did you see horses? We saw a piece so. of a horse. When they Does that count? To, yes. If you only see part of a horse, it counts. Yes, the horse's ass. Yes, that counts. Yeah, because they're big, so. Right. Yeah. Not, yeah, they probably won't be on the on the full frame, but if it's there, it's, it counts. Okay. Yeah, we saw, and does this count like just in a street scene, how many horses? Sure. See you in a street scene. Well, you're not going to see them in any indoor scenes. We in the livery, we do. Okay, I guess that's true. <laughs> I'm being pedantic. Sorry. Yeah, so am I. Um. Okay. A dozen horses. A dozen. Okay. Wow. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe a yeah. Maybe a stampede will happen. This is true. Or maybe there will be a wagon train will come into town. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, Richardson will summon them when he summons the Leviathan. He'll summon, like, water horses. It'll be like Lord of the Rings. They'll come out of the stream. Mm, yeah. His magic powers are very dangerous and unpredictable. Yeah. Maybe the Leviathan will be released from a Trojan horse, and that will be kind of a... He's going to summon horses. <laughs> It'll be a Trojan horse being hauled over by a bunch of horses. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Leviathan will burst out of it. He's going to summon horses yeah. with antlers. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of the horses in the sky. Are you still writing these predictions down, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for Carol's prediction of number of horses. Uh, number of horses. Um, two. That's okay. what I said. She can oh, say two did? as well. Oh, okay. No, I'll, I'll change it to four. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you in uh, three weeks for 
Leviathan smiles. <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny. As always, you can find us on hooplecast.com. That's our website where we have links to discussion threads, show notes, archived episodes. Go on iTunes, leave a good review. Go on the UK iTunes, leave a good review. Uh, find us on Twitter, at hooplecast. Go on Facebook. Find the Facebook group. That's where we talk about stuff. Thank you for joining us this episode, Randall. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you have any projects or anything you want to plug, promote? Sure. Um, I co-host and produce a podcast in which, believe it or not, I actually do a bit more talking than I did tonight. Um, uh, Grawlix Podcast. It's uh, G-R-A-W-L-I-X, GrawlixPodcast.com. We talk about comic book stuff, um, Doctor Who, various kind of nerdy things like that. And then uh, I also make music in kind of a... uh, 80 synth style currently um you can check that out at uh super science dot xyz new retro wave stuff yeah exactly Ah, very cool very cool on the other podcast uh you said you do comic books and doctor who kind of stuff so is it more comic books and less it's more comic books um just because if we do comic books and doctor who and we don't limit ourselves to Doctor Who. We'll just do Doctor Who all the time, which really we should have just started a Doctor Who podcast. But um, yeah. it's more comic. It tends to be more comic book stuff. Uh-huh. Uh Like every episode, we we do in between episodes, we do a poll, and people can like suggest and vote on a graphic novel or like a short run of comic books, a certain run in a series, and mm-hmm. then we read it and discuss that on the next episode. So it's pretty much all like. List for the most part, listener recommended stuff that we talk about. Um, cool. So that de- that dominates most of the episodes. But when we can, we try to fit Doctor Who stuff or other <laughs> things in there. Cool. So, what comics should I be reading right now? If I write comics, which I don't like, current comics or yeah. just something you should read. Um, what what is what currently is the thing that that you're most excited about in the world of comics? Well, I'm generally a DC reader, and they're doing a big change right now. So I would say something fairly recent. Go back and read. I hate to suggest superhero stuff because people, there's others. Okay, okay. How about um, read Invincible from Image Comics? It's a superhero comic, but it's it's independent, and it's just handled very differently. And it's got, like, it's great because it's got a fantastic mix of, like, um character development character driven stories as well as just over the top insane superhero action and violence it's it's a very interesting like mix of things okay yeah i'll look into it that sounds it sounds good i'm like matt though i'm like particular about my art if the art is not to my taste i have a hard time reading it sure sure i don't know i don't know what to see um, it's written by Robert Kirkman, who is a name you might know. Uh, he, he writes uh, The Walking Dead and created all oh, that. So okay. okay. I knew the name was familiar. I couldn't figure out why. Yeah, one of the larger names in comics because he's obviously yeah. had the big crossover into TV success. Right. Are you excited about the premiere of Preacher tonight? Oh, I'm super excited, actually. I'm mm-hmm. super excited. That is what I'm doing after... Well. I, I was expecting us to go a little later, so I've got a little while to wait, but I'm, yeah, I'm very excited. Usually we do r- run long, that's because our guests have lots to say. Oh! <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh! 
So now we know why you were that. quiet. You want to get out of here just so you can watch Preacher? No, no, yeah, no. I'm gonna level with you. I I was actually super nervous for this episode. I really? don't know why. I've been con. Yeah. I've been I've been podcasting for a while, but uh, I don't know. I guess you're all strangers. I know. Mm. Yeah. They don't come stranger than Matt and Mel. Yeah. 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 Strange. Uh. <laughs> I'm not strange. One of these days, I'm going to watch Doctor Who. I'm just waiting for that Doctor Who intro cast. I keep saying we could do one. Yeah, maybe. You're going to start a lot, new series a of... because. Oh yeah. Starting... I, yeah, I yeah. think you'd have to. I think you'd have yeah. to start with the new, like the new run of run of stuff with the mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston stuff, and then maybe you occasionally you watch a classic one. Or something like, but I think you, you, yeah. if you started at the beginning, beginning, you would like never get caught up. No, you yeah, probably no. languish and you, you would pod fade. Like, I think you have to be yeah. kind of smarter about it and yeah. yeah, get current a lot faster. So yeah, I definitely say start with Eccleston and, and then basically bring guests on that are, you know, big into the, the early stuff and, and occasionally do one of those. It's a special thing. Well, Carol, maybe you can do that after you finish McKinley cast in 2026. <laughs> it's looking increasingly likely like that we're going to finish Deadwood before you finish Freaks and Geeks. Well, yeah, maybe. We'll see. I mean, there's three weeks. We could finish off McKinley cast in that three weeks. <laughs> That's true. You could do a... It's not going to happen. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, Matt Mel, what you got going on? Go ahead, Mel. Mm, I was going to say Hooplecast, but no. <laughs> oh, tell us all about that. Yeah, really. Well, you know, it's a podcast where we talk about Deadwood, and uh, sometimes there's ridiculous predictions, sometimes there's ridicul- ridiculous uh, episode titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they go hand in hand. Um, it, no. I've, I don't know about that podcast. I've read some reviews of it, and they say that you got, we laugh too much. Oh, oh, is that is that right? No yeah, fun. We have too much. We have too much fun. We should be more serious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so I don't know. I'm gonna have to pass on that one. What else you got? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are we all fired? What else do we got, Matt? Uh, we got uh, Defenders podcast, and uh, which, which is a podcast. Which is about what? Netflix Marvel shows and uh, Twin Peaks podcast. And Matt is wrong about games. What's that one about? You're wrong about games, Matt. Mostly about you being wrong about games. <laughs> I was wrong. Apparently I was wrong last time. <laughs> <laughs> we got proof now. <laughs> yeah, you got it on record. What happened? Oh, yeah. oh, you'll have to listen, I guess. Yeah, you have to listen. Listen to the latest episode. It's on. It's online. It's available. Matt is wrong about games. And uh, let's see. In an hour's time, I'll be recording Clone Dance Party, which is an Orphan Black podcast. Nutty and I recorded a commentary for the most recent episode. So that's available right now. Yeah. It was... Yeah really good this yeah, season has been this morning i think or no yesterday yesterday i watched it last season was terrible this season has been fantastic i'm really i'm really happy i'm really digging orphan black right now i didn't think last season was terrible it was terrible that's yeah. your opinion of course but you're wrong yeah. um and then <laughs> later this year will and i will be recording spartacast about the star series spartacus yeah so go on to facebook and find that facebook group and just Get ready. Get primed. It's, it's happening. My son was really into that uh, that uh, series. He really liked it. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. All right. So, we again, we will see you in three weeks for Leviathan Smiles. Randall, you want to take us out with a fuck you? Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs>
I love, okay, when you guys first started doing that, the way that Matt did that, oh, he nailed it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of fallen off on that. You want me to try again? Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got lazy about it. You're like, <laughs> that's why we. That's why we had a change to have our guest do it, because he became a lazy, lazy at it. Okay, here we go. Fuck you! <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That was really loud. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Apologize. <laughs> apologize. <laughs> it's good that we have recurring shtick. There was an Irishman one time who was working on the building sites in England. And uh, <laughs> he was kind of a misfortunate character. Things never worked out too well for him. But he had one of those days, you know, one of those days that, that starts out bad and gets worse and worse as it goes along. <laughs> We all get them from time to time. But by the end of the day, this poor guy was in pretty bad condition. And he was unable to go to work for a few weeks. So he wrote a letter to his boss in which he explained in great detail exactly what had happened to him and why he was unable to go to work. And the song is called Dear Boss. Dear Boss, I write this note to you to tell you of my plight. And at the time of writing, I am not a pretty sight. My body is all black and blue and my face a deadly grey. And I hope you'll understand why Paddy's not at work today. I was working on the 14th floor, some bricks I had to clear. And throwing them down from such a height was not a good idea. The foreman wasn't very pleased, he'd be in an awful sod. And he said I'd have to take them down the ladder in me hard. Now shifting all those bricks by hand, it seemed so awful slow. So I hoisted up a barrel and secured a rope below. But in my haste to do the job, I was too blind to see that a barrel full of building bricks was heavier than me. <laughs> now when I came down, I cut the rope and the barrel fell like lead. And clinging tightly to the rope, I started up instead. I shot up like a rocket and to my dismay I found that halfways up I met the bloody barrel coming down. <laughs> now the barrel broke me shoulder as to the ground it sped. And when I reached the top I struck the pulley with me head. I still clung on though numbed and shocked from this almighty blow. And the barrel spilled out half the bricks fourteen floors below. Now when the bricks had fallen from the barrel to the floor Tray then outweighed the barrel and I started down once more Still clinging tightly to the rope I headed for the ground And I fell among the broken bricks that were all scattered around As I lay there moaning on the floor Sure I thought I'd passed the worst when the barrel struck the pulley wheel and didn't the bottom burst A shower of bricks came down and me sure I hadn't got a hope And as I was losing consciousness I let go the bloody roar 
Now the barrel it being heavier It started down once more And it landed right across me As I lay there on the floor I broke three ribs and my left arm And I can only say That I hope you'll understand Why Paddy's not at work today Hello. Hey. Can you hear me fine? Uh, yeah. Cool. I always call you first. <laughs> Why? Set the calls. I don't know. I guess I feel, feel like, like you're more aware. You like the best. <laughs> you like the best. Good old dependable <laughs> Matt <Nah. laughs> Alright. Make sure you guys, when you take turns talking, lean into the microphone. Because sometimes you guys are like a little soft. Are we? Yeah, so... It just takes a little okay. extra time editing, and that's all I'm trying to cut Sorry. back Hi time. Hi, Hi guys. Carol. Sorry. Sorry. Just like us, just like us Canadians. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The stereotypes are true. <laughs> uh, hello. Hello, guest. Hello. Hello, podcast people. Hello. <laughs> and hi, Carol. Sorry, I didn't say hi. I was just busy saying sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I know. I don't expect anything more. Oh, uh, guys. How's everybody doing? Fine. I just gave my dog a bath. <laughs> it's always an adventure. What kind of dog do you have? A Sheltie. Oh, those have a lot of hair, don't they? Yeah. Like an undercoat, too. Makes it hard yeah. to clean. But he just freaks out and just. <clears throat> when I take. Sorry, when I take him out of the bath, he throws himself onto the the rug and uh, onto the carpet in hysterics, like trying to get dry. <laughs> it's the saddest thing. Oh, oh, poor baby. I wish my chair wasn't so squeaky. Oh, it is squeaky. It's very squeaky. I cut. A, I try and um, take all of the squeaks out of the podcast. Oh, we lost Matt and Mel. Oh. On the squeaky chair front, I just had to. Re- I just replaced all of our uh, dining room table chairs be- because of podcasting and squeaky chairs. So I know how that goes. <laughs> you replaced your. I hope they weren't like wonderful no, chairs were, that you. They were not wonderful chairs. Can you guys they hear us evil. now? Yeah. Yeah. Good before. Okay, we were talking we're, and there's nothing. Oh, nothing happening. Okay, mm-hmm. you're breaking do, up do just. A, you're breaking Are up we? just a little bit for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Mm. We're turning into Marge now. Everyone, yeah, everyone clear your throats. Professional <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> podcast. I keep reading that they had plans for them in season four that was going to be really, really interesting. That yeah. It was going to amount to something. I, I don't know what. I would love oh. to know what. Yeah. But I, would I, wonder, been- I wonder if uh, the movie that's supposed to be made... Have we heard any more about the movie? Well, the last I heard about the movie was that David Milch had a stack of scripts and that they were walking the ranch, like scouting the oh. ranch. Oh, they were scouting. Mm. Yeah, they were. They were. They filmed in Melody Ranch near L.A. and they were walking around it. And that uh, he has scripts and they're working on it. But the like the lead guy at HBO was just just quit. Oh, like, like last week. Oh, oh. Michael Lombardo, I think his name was. Here we go again, then. Okay. So, someone actually asked me on Twitter, I think it could have been Andrew, said, um, what, what does this do for the chances of there being a movie? 
and I don't know. Like, yeah, it could be that this one guy really, really wanted to do it, and while mm-hmm. everyone was, you know, while he was in charge, like this is what they were going to do. And now that he's gone, everyone's like, oh, "Good thing we don't have to do that movie now." Yeah. Or it could be that that wasn't the case; that everybody wanted to do it, and that this would look bad if they said we're going to do it, and now we're not going to do it. That looks like you're jerking people around, but maybe they feel like not enough people knew about it, so they can get away with it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The- I think it's going to come down to money, as it always does. Yeah. It- it doesn't just come down to money. Uh, unfortunately, when there's a, I've heard this over and over and over again. When there's a change of of hierarchy, whether in whatever business, but it really shows up a lot in uh, in entertainment business. It's very much like the new guy often wants to to show how different they are, and that you know there's a reason that they were hired, and so they'll very often throw out whatever the last guy was, you know keen on mm-hmm. right so so a lot of times you hear over and over again when they're try, talking about you know why this movie wasn't made or that movie wasn't made oh everybody was so up for it and it was great and all of this and then so and so got fired or so and so left to do something else and the new person just threw out pretty much everything that the other one had been doing mm-hmm. and so it could be just like you say there might be enough people that are into it and maybe the new person will be into it and it'll be smooth sailing. On the other hand, they might just want to, you know, make a name for themselves. Like, okay, I am now the boss, and and these are, you know, I'm not going to do what the last guy was doing. Right. That's why he's gone. The new person might say, "I want to be that person who brings back that beloved show and got something done that no one has been able to get done." since the show was canceled and they talked about doing movies after the the show was canceled and it it never happened. It never materialized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But under my watch, what's the first thing I got done? I finally got the, those Deadwood movies made. Like, sure. So who knows? Like, yeah, I, I, I really feel like in the terms, in this situation, it's going to be about money and can we make it work? Can we get the cast back? Mm -hmm. Is it worth doing? Um, Mm -hmm. It's a little different now. Than before because we're in this uh, this trend of things coming back, mm-hmm. and I feel like HBO, you know, Game of Thrones is a little long on the tooth. Uh, it's only got another two seasons tops, and then what? Like vinyl was kind of flopped, and their Lewis and Clark miniseries uh, gone or may not happen or is being retooled. Uh, the David Fincher Utopia thing blew up. There's, there was all these different things that just they haven't um, created. This hmm. might be a safe bet for them. That'd be nice. So I don't know. We'll see. But that'd be nice. Yeah, you you uh, keep track of HBO a whole lot better than I do. That's for sure. I listen Humphrey. to a couple TV podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many um, actors from this show have died since? Well, we know Richardson. Right. Um, it wouldn't be the same without Richardson. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. for me, anyways. I, I'm looking through the cast list here, and that might, he might be the only one, really. Oh, I mean, like the guy who plays Chesterton, but <laughs> you could be upset you don't get to see Chesterton anymore. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, Ian McShane's still kicking around. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think the issue would be that. Some of these actors are just too old to sort of reprise their roles or too busy or whatever. So 
I don't again, I don't know what the movie could be. It's not really very age based though. It's not like it's five years later, it's like fifteen years later, so Yeah, but they're also not like they're high school. Ten years students. later, sorry. You know, they're not high school students or something like that. True. You know? They're business people and stuff. Yeah, maybe with makeup or or you know, we just have to suspend our disbelief and just say, Okay, well they're obviously a lot older than the show was set. They look like they're ten years older and the show is telling us that it's only two years later, like we we'll just hey, have to go with it. Like maybe it that's was, just the It was yeah. hard times back then. People aged a lot faster <laughs> yeah. than they do now. True. I mean, you look at some of the old pictures and um I suddenly I was looking at one I found one my family from like eighteen ninety something and I realized that that lady sitting over in the black dress with her hair all pulled back and everything that looked so <laughs> old was actually younger than I am now and I was like, Oh my goodness You're like, Who is that eighty year old woman? And you're like, Oh, she's twelve years old. Like, oh <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's kinda like that. You know, you're looking at these these women and uh it's like, Oh my goodness, you know, yeah, old lady, boy, boy, she looks like she's, you know, as you say, like 80, and then I'm calculating it and all, and I'm like, oh, you know, she's she's pretty young, actually, but uh, they don't look it. It was, a, it was a lot harder life back then. So maybe they'll, they'll de-age them with makeup, and they'll, they'll say that, that's just hard to live in, or, or maybe they'll just look older, and we'll just have to deal with it, and people will complain about how people look, you know, it looks... They look too old, and the producers will say, "Well, they're not really in the in the West in the 19th century, so just shush that part of your brain and and just just live <laughs> with it, just deal with it." I don't know. We'll see. Let's get back into the episode. Johnny wants to know what was decided at the meeting. Dan says the letter will be published and let everyone know that they are the caring sort. Shaming Hurst. That's it. We're done. That's it. All right. Well, All thanks, right. guys. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Sorry we didn't let you talk enough. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, really. it's, there was plenty of time. There's plenty of opportunity. That's all right. You just have to shove your way in. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much have to like be like, hey, I have this I to got say. shit to say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Unauthorized symbol. Synonym. Synonym. Thank you. Let me stick my hands inside this muff. <laughs> <laughs>